Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. Back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It's the 15th of October, year of our Lord 2020, and I had to go early. There's just so much damn stupid. The stupid just won't stop. It is our media and overdrive, and today we have some incredible, credible stuff. We're going to go into the Hunter Biden story. We're going to go into the Dave whatever the fuck it of ACB. I don't even know why they did this thing. All they're doing is giving time for Democrats to make an ass out of themselves, which maybe is a good thing overall. And then we're going to do a narrative. No violence. Um, we should be doing another podcast on Sunday because we do have dueling uh, town halls, which is also a thing today because you can't let a Republican president have airtime or so our media establishment says. But we start with a very nondescript soundbite. You're probably like, okay, he just played like a car. What the fuck is he doing? Well, that was one of many liberal, that was Claire McCaskill, getting little videos from her constituents about voter suppression 2020. (laughs) Because somebody went and filmed day one of early voting. And their lines. Now, at no time do these bearers of constitutionality and the adults in the room and, you know, really what we should be looking for out of our fucking goddamn elected leaders, some intellectual fucking honesty, saying, well, of course the lines are really big because we're social distancing now. And it's day one of early voting, a day that is habitually, I don't care where you are, very busy. So I wanted to start the show with that because I did my early voting. And as the intro says, I'm in an undisclosed bunker. But most of you have been following the show for more than a day know that I'm somewhere in Tennessee, Kentucky region. Well, I will announce today if, you know, I probably slipped a few times. Uh, I'm making a new movie trailer funny skit you know because we haven't had done one in a while uh it's in the works and uh, it's one of the jokes in there that he's in an undisclosed bunker but he's really not because i've kind of said it over and over so you know i went and voted in clarksville tennessee and i got there at 7 a.m the poll opened at eight and i was number 30 and that was a good about 150 meters or more from the door. It was wrapped around this building. By the time we started at 8 o'clock, I would say there's well over 150, 200 people in that line. It wrapped around the entire building because it was social distancing. 
unlike in the past, I did see, like 2008-2012, quite a few African Americans. Now, in 2012-2016, as I reported on the show, they were bust there. I saw the bus. It was brought in by Democratic handlers. Um, In this case, they were there. They were wearing political garb, which you weren't supposed to do, but nobody corrected him. And I saw a guy wearing a 2A hat, so nobody corrected him either, which was good. Um, But they had the decency to put sweatshirts over their political garb, which, you know, much better. None of the garb was Biden. It was BLM guard. And the gamut of range of ages was from very young to very, very old. Um, As the doors opened and we started moving, it went really quick. Inside the building, well, before we get to the inside, a grandma of about 90, old African-American woman, no coat, barely able to walk, was walking down the line. And the lady next to me was an African-American and she had talked about um, people taking cuts. And I said, yeah, there's nothing I hate more than people taking cuts. But when the old woman came up next to me, you know, I, I let her in. I asked her, are you voting, Grandma? And she said, yes. And I go, get in here, please. I don't think anybody will care. And I turned around to all the people that was there. And I said, I don't want to sound hypocritical, but that's somebody's grandmama. She can't run to the end of this line. Good Lord, it might be in, in you know, freaking Nashville by now. And everybody laughed and they were cool with it. But I let her in and she thanked me numerous times for doing it. But her first reaction when I said, are you voting, was yes. And I really didn't think it out. But to be quite honest, that person probably did suffer systemic racism when there were Jim Crow laws in the South configured by Democrats. So I probably should have worded it a different way. Not the current day voter suppression bullshit that you got to wait in a line. Okay. Anyway, so moving on, we go inside. Majority of, it was 50-50 white, black, and I'm saying it on purpose because this is what the left does. That, you know, white people don't let black people vote. They suppress it. But the poll workers was 50-50. The demographics of Clarksville, Tennessee is not 50-50, but they were there. I saw poll checkers there who were watching certain people. I happened to be one of those people, even though I was dressed in a nice jacket with a beard, a scruffy beard and a Copenhagen dip in my mouth. I guess I look like a Trumper. So the lady moved over, an African-American, and probably in her 60s, and watched me vote, which I didn't think was correct, but whatever. She didn't have the badge of poll worker or you know staff. She was just one of those Democrats checking to see if people were cheating or something. I don't know how I could cheat on an electric machine. But she walked up next to me. I ignored her, did my thing. The attendant at my machine, because this was a well-run polling station, had 12 machines. He was an African-American. He was friendly to me. But there was no goodbye, have a nice day, like he did with other people. I'll just be quite honest. He did. The person before me and the person behind me were African-Americans that went to that station, and he was very friendly to them. But to me, it was very 
Uh, do you know the ballot? Okay, here's your stuff. And he walked away. And when I turned to say goodbye, he did not say goodbye. He just looked at me. So th- there was some animus. And once again, this is all brought on by what? This latest round of everybody's a fucking racist. So I report it not to be snitchy and looking around for things. I'm not trying to be a liberal and look for racism like they do in cornflakes, for fuck's sake. I'm just reporting what I saw. But from soup to nuts, 22 minutes, I was gone. And I was in a very long line because of social distancing. But it was a well-run polling station. And I think that's what it turns into... Democrats want to use anything to say that they're being suppressed when it's just you have shitty poll workers. And whose fault's that? Yours. As stated, I voted in this polling place for the last three elections. 12, 16, no, 4. 8, 12, 16, and 20. And up until yesterday... Every time I went in, they had a coat rack for the polling workers. And every time there was an Obama or a Hillary badge, a pin on their jacket, which is crooked as fuck because they're supposed to be apolitical. But I saw it every year and I put it on the podcast. This was the first year I saw nothing. The coat rack was gone. And I did see a lot of signage that said no pictures being taken do not talk about politics no polit no talking about candidates it was everywhere so they were doing it right here but i could if i was honest if i were to take a census just with the looks of the people and the way they acted and their demographics this was majority democrat leaning people running this polling station And I bring it up because this is the forever retardation, and I know you're not supposed to use that word, in this argument. Every time we turn around, some liberal person is saying that people are getting shafted and people of color are getting treated poorly and they're poor and they don't have any advantages. But then you go down the litany of lists of every fucking fucking city is run by fucking liberals. Let's just be honest. You've ran it. Flint has never had a Republican, but somehow it's a Republican's fault that people got lead poisoning. I mean, it, it, it just literally is your fault. If you want to fix it, stop voting for crap. I read a story the other day about Texas. 700,000 people have moved to Texas from California, and they're voting the same way. Taxation has gone up. You can't be that stupid if you're living somewhere and the politics of that. If I lived here where I live, taxes were through the roof. It was conservative run. They were forcing people to go to church. All the crazy things the left says about conservatism. If that was happening and I moved, I sure the fuck wouldn't vote for that. I would vote for other things. Or other candidates and other policies. Because I'd already lived through 
being treated poorly or living poorly because of the politics of the area. Yet we're seeing over and over the exodus from California and the majority of those dumbasses move to the next place and just make it California. At some time, you have to look at the people you're voting in and go, what the hell? I've said it numerous times on the show. Marsha Blackburn is my representative. I voted against her every damn time. And the reason I did that is because she did not, would not, ever use her power for veterans. The majority of her district was veterans, retirees, or current active military. Yet when I talked to her in 2015, 14, I can't really remember um, the exact year, she had no idea about the Obama administration urge to move all people off TRICARE Prime and put them on the ACA because the numbers were horrible. And she was clueless. It was happening on the West Coast. This had to be like 29, 10, something like that. And she says, well, I'll, I'll look into it. And I was just shocked. Because once again, these people get so far removed from what their constituents are living because they don't live there. I mean, Nancy Pelosi is a key example of how you get totally detached from the people you're supposed to be representing because you're in the Washington bubble and all you think is Washington. But yet people keep voting for these clowns over and over and over. And I know they've rigged the districts to be, well, there's no way you can beat this person and nobody's going to sign up to ever try to beat them because they can't. But at some time, you have to stop voting against your self-interest. And that was one of the biggest claims from the left and the media in 2016 that the Southern deplorable Trump voters voted against their self-interest by voting in the demon seed that is Donald Trump and its projection, as we'll see through the rest of this podcast. Before we start on The Hunter, and I'm going to start with a long soundbite. It was covered on Tucker, and I promptly got it last night. I actually watched the show live and then I got online and tried to find it, and it was very difficult. Um, you will see in this story how big tech got involved, because we can't have the October surprise being against a Democrat. That would be horrible, and their hypocrisy was just huge. They also were shutting down YouTube channels, because I could usually get this soundbite when I play the Tucker Carlson soundbites on the show. I can get it from about six or seven YouTube channels. I couldn't anymore. There were two channels broadcasting. That's it. And by morning, one of them still had the soundbite because I needed a second part. I couldn't get it from the one I got last night because he only put up 30 minutes of the show. They were suppressing it. But I'd like to give a shout out to a new listener. I don't say last names, but I'll just say boss in New York caught up with an old mentor who I've talked about on the podcast, who brought me under his wing and taught me how to do business stuff. And without him, I would still be the assistant manager of the store that doesn't exist anymore. Uh, But I never would have moved up. He called, reached out, uh, interesting conversation, uh, New York politics. And if he wants to, uh, over time, it'd be interesting to bring him on the show and have him talk about his experience because, you know, most of us don't know how you make the sausage and how idiots like AOC get selected. You know, we covered on the podcast how she was the Manchurian candidate built by a a pack that was trying to make the best socialist 
you know, $6 million woman fucking candidate. And she was the one that was selected reading cue cards and saying what they wanted to say. But in in most cases, it's an interesting process on how people become candidates. You know, most of us think, well, I just say I want to do it and I go get a bunch of signatures. No, that's not the case. And he had a great story on that. I'd love to bring him on the show and have him talk about it. Um, but he's got to listen a couple times, probably decide that this is the type of thing he wants to be on. It could ruin his reputation, but I wanted to give a shout out. And then also a shout out from the numerous new voters. We had good listenings this are voters, listeners, numerous new cities pop up on the stats. I can track on SoundCloud. Um, so welcome to the show. Understand up front. I say it. Every once in a while to make sure the new listeners understand this is not a pro-Tump podcast. I'm, I am not a Republican. I'm an independent. My running theme is that our media is hot garbage and it's hard to have a free society and free elections when you have most of our media establishment always on one team, which is the Democratic National Committee. And today is a perfect example to get on my high horse and put boot to ass to liberal bias in our media. And it starts with Hunter Biden. The election cycle tradition of an October surprise possibly being fulfilled tonight by the allegation that Joe Biden may have had a meeting he has vehemently denied. The Biden campaign still denies it tonight, but emails allegedly from his son Hunter Biden say the meeting was at least being set up. This about Hunter Biden and a powerful Ukrainian businessman. We're looking into this story, but we have Fox team coverage tonight. Howard Hertz tells us how social media is dealing with what many are saying, censoring this story. But first, senior political correspondent Mike Emanuel has the specifics. What do we know, Mike? Well, Brett, good evening. An explosive story at a critical stage in this presidential campaign. Newly released emails allegedly from Joe Biden's son Hunter's computer leading to Capitol Hill investigators starting a probe. The Senate Homeland Security Committee is now investigating a hard drive brought forward by a whistleblower. An attorney for Rudy Giuliani tells Fox News a computer repairman came forward with a laptop and hard drive that he says belonged to Hunter Biden. He claims that it was dropped off at his shop and never picked up. Fox is told it had an estimated 40,000 emails, 1,000 text messages, and salacious photos and videos of the former vice president's son. Now Senate investigators are working with the whistleblower to confirm the information. He is legally blind, uses a monocle to do his job, and cannot confirm it was Hunter who dropped off the laptop. I saw stuff and I was concerned. I was concerned that somebody might want to come looking for this stuff eventually, and I wanted it out of my shop. And the stuff were images or the stuff were, was text emails? A little bit of both. Fox News has obtained an April 17, 2015 email. A source tells Fox it came from the computer in question. It is from Vadim Pazarsky, a senior official from the Ukrainian energy firm Burisma. He thanks Hunter Biden for inviting him to Washington and, quote, giving an opportunity to meet your father and spent some time together when Joe Biden was vice president. The Biden campaign says it has reviewed Joe Biden's official schedules from the time and no meeting ever took place. But this has been a very sensitive subject. Do you think it was wrong for him to take that position 
knowing that it was really because but that company did. wanted access to you. Well, that's not true. You're saying things you do not know what you're talking about. No one said that. Who said that? Well, don't Who you said that? that? There's also a May 12, 2014 email from Pizarski that mentions to Hunter Biden, quote, we urgently need your advice on how you could use your influence to convey a message, signal, etc., to stop what we consider to be politically motivated actions. At the time, Hunter Biden was reportedly being paid up to $50,000 per month by Burisma, while his father, the vice president, was the point man for the Obama administration on Ukraine. I've never spoken this. Less than a year after that alleged 2014 meeting where Hunter evidently introduced Pazarsky to his father, a Ukrainian prosecutor was fired, something Joe Biden bragged about in 2018. Now look, I said, I'm leaving in six hours. If the prosecutor's not fired, you're not getting the money. Oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> Got fired. The Trump campaign notes the Biden campaign does not dispute the authenticity of the emails. Fox has reached out to Pizarski to ask if these are his emails, and we have not gotten a response. Brett? Mike, so we know the owner turns it over to the FBI. Mm -hmm. uh, do we know the providence of that, how it happens, when it happens? Uh, we understand that it's been in the FBI's possession since December 2019. It's not entirely clear how this ended up getting to a, an attorney with ties to Rudy Giuliani. The FBI is not talking about its possession of it. It turned us over to the uh, U.S. Attorney's Office in Delaware, which would not confirm nor deny that an investigation was underway. Uh, we understand that there was some concern about whether the FBI had kept it, whether they had fully scrubbed it or what, and so a guy kept a copy of it and then passed it on to Rudy Giuliani's camp and thus it has ended up in public domain at least. Elections coming up. The president looking hail is on the road. He's speaking tonight in Des Moines, Iowa. We're monitoring that and of course we'll bring you news as it develops. Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. Most of us never imagined it could happen in this country and yet today it did happen. A major American newspaper published a story, apparently an entirely accurate story, about a presidential candidate. The tech monopolies that control American media feared this story might hurt that candidate whom they favor. So three weeks before a national election, they shut the whole thing down. They prevented the public from reading the news. They didn't apologize for doing this. They didn't bother to make up reasonable sounding justifications for it. They just did it exactly as the Chinese government does. These are monopolies. They have all the power. You have none. They don't have to care what you think, and they don't. This was mass censorship on a scale that America has never experienced, not in 245 years. And it's a threat to all of us. Democracies only function when there is a free exchange of information between citizens. We no longer have that. This is a dark moment. Here are the details. This morning, the New York Post published a series of emails that describe Hunter Biden's lucrative relationship with a Ukrainian energy company called Burisma, and then describe how his father, then the vice president of the United States, intervened to help his son peddle influence. Now, we've known the outlines of this story for quite some time, but these emails add damning detail. No one appears to dispute that they're real, not even the Joe Biden campaign. You're hearing whispers tonight that's all part of a Russian disinformation campaign. If this is a hoax, it is the most complex, sophisticated hoax ever perpetrated. It doesn't seem possible. There are too many. There's too much detail. These emails came from a laptop, an Apple laptop, that was dropped off at a Delaware computer repair shop last year and then abandoned there. After a certain number of days with no payment, the shop's owner took legal possession of the laptop. 
He looked inside. There were tens of thousands of emails, including exchanges with representatives of foreign companies and foreign governments. The laptop apparently belonged to Hunter Biden. The shop owner was stunned by this, by the appearance of corruption, and he was afraid for his family. So late last year, he gave the laptop to the FBI. He kept a copy of the hard drive for himself, but he never heard back from the FBI. By May, he was anxious. So he made overtures to Senator Mike Lee's office and at least one conservative nonprofit. He emailed their websites, but no one responded. Finally, the man contacted Rudy Giuliani's office, and today's story is the result of that. Well, the tech monopolies instantly crushed it the moment it appeared. An executive at Facebook called Andy Stone, a former Democratic staffer, announced that his company would censor the New York Post story. As he put it, Facebook would be, quote, reducing its distribution on our platform. Twitter quickly followed suit by locking the New York Post's entire Twitter account. One of the biggest newspapers in the world banned from Twitter. Twitter then prevented its users from sharing the New York Post story, both privately and publicly. Those who tried to share it got this message, quote, your tweet couldn't be sent because this link has been identified by Twitter or our partners as being potentially harmful. Harmful? In a separate explanation, Twitter wrote this, quote, we don't permit the use of our services to directly distribute content obtained through hacking that contains private information, may put people in physical harm or danger, or contains trade secrets. Yes, the same Twitter that just promoted a New York Times story about the president's private tax returns, obviously obtained illegally, that Twitter. And who, by the way, was hacked here? No one was hacked. Twitter never addressed that. As for, quote, trade secrets, there were none. We already knew that Hunter Biden was trading on his father's office to make 50 grand a month from the Ukrainians. In October, he admitted it. You didn't have any extensive knowledge about natural gas or Ukraine itself, though. Uh, no, but I think that I had as much knowledge as anybody else that was on the board, if not more. In the list that you gave me of the reasons why you're on that board, you did not list the fact that you were the son of the vice president. Of course, president. yeah. No, I, I, what role do you think that played? I think that it is impossible for me to be on any of the boards that I just mentioned without saying that I'm the son of the vice president of the United States. Oh, thanks for acknowledging reality. So we knew the outlines. What we didn't know until today was how brazen this was. Hunter Biden didn't simply sell access to his father, the vice president, or take cash to influence American foreign policy. No, it's weirder than that. As he schemed to extract more money from Burisma, Hunter Biden didn't refer to his father as his father. He referred to Joe Biden, the vice president, as, quote, my guy. On April 13th, 2014, for example, Hunter Biden wrote this to his business partner, quote, the announcement of my guy's upcoming travel should be characterized as part of our advice and thinking, end quote. Hunter Biden added that he needed to be, quote, protected financially and wanted a long-term role with Burisma. Quote, the contract should begin now, not after the upcoming visit of my guy. That should include a retainer in the range of $25,000. It's not clear if Biden got that retainer, but we know he did get a high-paying job at Burisma. Then in May 2014, just weeks after Hunter Biden joined the board of that company, a top executive there let him know why he was being paid. Very explicitly, quote, we urgently need your advice on how you could use your influence to convey a message, signal, etc., to stop what we consider to be politically motivated actions. The executive wrote that in an email. Quote, use your influence to convey a message. What message? What does that mean? Well, another email from the same executive obtained by the New York Post, dated April 17, 2015, explains in very clear terms what it means. Quote, dear Hunter, 
Thank you for inviting me to D.C. and giving an opportunity to meet your father and spend some time together. It's really an honor and pleasure. Oh, that's what you're not allowed to read. And you can see why Facebook and Twitter don't want to allow you to read it. If Joe Biden met with Burisma executives at the request of his son for the profit of his own family, it becomes very clear that Joe Biden's previous denials were lies. Just last year, Joe Biden was telling us he had no idea what his son was doing at Burisma. You were the vice president running point on Ukraine. The average Joe hears that and says, that sounds fishy. What's your understanding of what your son was doing for an extraordinary amount of money? I don't know what he was doing. I know he was on the board. I found out he was on the board after he was on the board. And that was it. And there's nobody. Well, you've had a lot of time. Isn't this something you want to get to the bottom of? No, because I trust my son. But that doesn't pass the smell test. Like when you're vice president, isn't there a higher standard? Don't you need to know what's happening with your family? Don't you need to put down some guardrails? Unless there was something that was uh, there was something on its face that was wrong. There's nothing on its face that was wrong. Nothing on its face that was wrong. That was before we saw these emails. You'll remember that back in 2018, Joe Biden explained that he got the top prosecutor in Ukraine fired. That prosecutor, Viktor Shokin, said he was planning to investigate Burisma when he was stripped of his job. Here's how Joe Biden explained slash bragged about how he canned Viktor Shokin. I had gotten a commitment from Poroshenko and from uh, Yatsenyuk that they would take action against the state prosecutor, and they didn't. So they said they had. They were walking out to the press conference. Said, "No, I said I'm not going to. We're not going to give you the billion dollars." They said, "You have no authority. You're not the president." The president said, "I said call him." <laughs> I said, "I'm telling you, you're not getting the billion dollars." I said, "You're not getting the billion. I'm going to be leaving here." And I think it was what six hours. I looked. I said, "I'm leaving in six hours. If the prosecutor's not fired, you're not getting the money." Oh, son of a bitch! <laughs> Got fired. Why is the vice president of the United States firing prosecutors in Ukraine? Pause for a moment and ask yourself that. That's bizarre behavior. It doesn't help the United States in any way. Why was he doing that? At the time, Biden's handlers denied there was anything wrong with this. They just said Shokin was corrupt and somehow the world was benefiting by Shokin getting fired. They didn't explain how we'd benefit from that. But of course, Joe Biden didn't do it for his son. He didn't know anything about Burisma. He didn't know what Hunter Biden was up to. No clue. Then last October, We showed you a photograph of Joe and Hunter Biden golfing with a board member at Burisma, Hunter Biden's business partner, a man called Devin Archer. The Biden campaign never explained that photograph. Our media, of course, never really followed up. Instead, just as they're now rushing to bury the New York Post story, CNN rushed into Joe Biden's defense. The impeachment inquiry is centered on President Trump's attempts to get political dirt from Ukraine on Vice President Biden and his son Hunter. Mr. Vice President, President Trump has falsely accused your son of doing something wrong while serving on a company board in Ukraine. I want to point out there's no evidence of wrongdoing by either one of you. A few months later, we got some sense why Anderson Cooper was so careful in the interview you just saw. In December, a voter in Iowa tried to ask Joe Biden about Burisma and his fitness for office. Joe Biden lost control of himself. He called the man fat and then challenged him to a push-up contest. So you're a damn liar, man. That's not true. And no one has ever said that. And you want to check my shape on Let's do push-ups together here, man. Let's do, let's run. Let's do whatever you want to do. Let's take another pizza. You said I set up my son to work in an oil company. Isn't that what you said? Get your words straight, Jack. But look, fat, look, here's the deal. Here's the deal. 
what is the deal, actually? That's a question every American, no matter what your political views, has a right to an answer. You might be wondering what Joe Biden thinks, by the way, of today's news. Unfortunately, you're not entitled to that information either. Joe Biden once again called it a day before noon. That meant reporters couldn't ask him about the New York Post story. Not that they'd wanted to. We'd like to. We're not controlled by Facebook or Google or Twitter. We can ask any question we want. And here's the first question. Did any money from Burisma or any other foreign company or foreign government wind up in Joe Biden's pockets or in the account of any entity he benefits from? We're not accusing Joe Biden of a crime. We're saying it has long been a mystery how a man who took a government salary for almost 50 years has lived like a rich man since the 1970s. Ever seen Joe Biden's houses? Look them up. Opulent doesn't begin to describe the way he lives. Can you do that? No, you can't. So how did Joe Biden do that? No one seems especially interested in finding out, but we are, and we may. There were a lot of emails on that laptop in Delaware, tens of thousands of emails. The New York Post is not the only news organization that has copies of those emails. They are out there, so stay tuned. Tonight, though, the New York Post broke this story and deserves full credit for it. Miranda Devine is a journalist there. We're happy to have her on tonight. Miranda, thanks for coming on. And in, in the future, when there is a free speech Supreme Court case, I hope your name is attached to the winning side of it. Uh, based on this. But before we get to the crackdown on the New York Post story, tell me what you think we learned from the pieces you wrote on these emails. Well, this story is not conjecture. It is actually emails from Hunter Biden's laptop. And it shows evidence that quite contrary to Joe Biden's protestations that he knows nothing about Hunter Biden's business dealings, doesn't know anything about Burisma, it actually shows a connection between Joe Biden, Hunter Biden and a senior executive at Burisma. There's uh, one of the emails that we published today shows that, uh, you know, Hunter Biden was arranging a meeting in 2015 when his father was vice president with a senior executive of Burisma. And there's uh, another email that thanks Hunter Biden for arranging that meeting. Uh, and, you know, we also have published um, photographs. Uh, one of the photographs that we published today shows Hunter Biden asleep with a crack pipe in his mouth. Now, we didn't publish that gratuitously. We published it as an illustration of how strange it is that these overseas companies, these foreign entities, would pay Hunter Biden millions of dollars, someone who has an admitted drug problem. And there are other photographs like that on this laptop spanning over five years. So you have a situation where Burisma, a corrupt energy company, is paying the son of the vice president uh, up to $83,000 per month for no discernible reason, because he doesn't have any experience in the energy industry. He has a proven drug problem. The only possible reason that is plausible is that he was being paid for his access to his father. And so what we see is a, a, a cash for influence scandal involving the Biden family. And Joe Biden has never satisfactorily answered this. There is now evidence that he needs to answer. And what did he do today? He hid. He did not come out and, and call a press conference, as you would have expected him to do, to 
plead innocence, to answer these allegations. Nothing, not a word. All that happened was that there was a statement from his campaign calling our story, all those emails and photographs that were on Hunter Biden's laptop that we published, calling our story discredited. And the only actual concrete point that it made in reference to our story was to say that they had reviewed Joe Biden's um, official calendar for the time and they could find no meeting on that official calendar. And, you know, I, I don't think that Joe Biden, even him, I don't think he's silly enough to have logged one of those meetings of as not. official. Of course not. That is exactly right. Miranda Devine, thanks so much for joining us. This is a Fox News alert. We have just heard from the CEO of Twitter, Jack Dorsey. He tweeted this, quote, our communication around our actions on the New York Post article was not great. And blocking URL sharing via tweet or DM with zero context as to why we're blocking, unacceptable. Huh. Writes like a child. Manages the company like one, too. By the way, the Biden campaign is able to call the story, quote, discredited because big tech is trying to discredit it. No reporter has taken a look at the story and concluded, oh, sure, this is a Russian fabrication. Putin did this. That's ridiculous. So the Biden campaign is using big tech as a pretext for not responding. And big tech, of course, is trying to prevent you from reading it at all. Where does this go from here? If Biden's elected, you think, you really think that the big tech companies are going to stop doing the bidding of their masters in Washington? Not a chance. You think big tech is going to suddenly think, oh, you're allowed to think for yourself? No. Last night in this show, we questioned whether masks are really effective at the transmission of the coronavirus, for example. And as we did that, we cited data directly from the CDC. We pulled it off their website, as well as other scientific sources. Science Magazine, for example. One study found that more than 70% of patients who contracted the coronavirus said they had always worn a mask. Another 14% said they usually did. We told you that last night. We posted that segment on Facebook. Today, we learned that Facebook is calling our reporting, quote, partly false. We quoted the CDC. They restricted the distribution of the post to prevent people from seeing it. Again, we can't say this enough. The data that we put on television last night were from the Centers for Disease Control. We used their numbers. We didn't make them up. But Facebook censored it. Where's this going exactly? Sagar and Jetty is an opinion host at The Hill. We're happy to have him tonight. Sagar, thanks for joining us. Where is this going? Thanks, Tucker. Tucker, I mean, this is a grave moment in American history. This yes, is actually is. a declaration of war by the big tech companies in this particular case. We need to understand this for what it is. This is an in-kind donation in the hundreds of millions of dollars to the Joe Biden campaign. These are rules that are flatly false on their face. Think about the material that you laid out. Hacked material is not to be distributed on Twitter. Does that mean that Edward Snowden's account is going to be locked immediately? Exactly. Does that mean that the Pentagon Papers could not be published? Does that mean that FBI could Intel Pro. Let's even think about this. They said that Twitter said that they could not distribute the story because they couldn't verify the origins. So does that mean that every single story based upon anonymous sources out of our government is going to be locked and banned from Twitter or slowed down, as they put it, from Facebook? No. These rules are selectively enforced in a political manner by the most powerful people and the most powerful companies on earth. All of your viewers need to understand that. 
So they, our viewers should also understand that it's not simply Facebook and Twitter. Facebook and Twitter are the primary means of revenue for almost all digital media. We happen to work in one of the rare media that's not dependent on, which is why we can have this conversation. But if Biden wins, how, does this get better? I mean, why would the tech companies stop doing the bidding of the Democratic Party if the Democratic Party had more power? Well, it's hard to see how it gets better when Kamala Harris's press secretary is the chief of communications over at Twitter, or how the person who announces on Facebook that things are going to be slowed down on this Hunter Biden story is himself a former Democratic operative. Take a That's look right. at the big tech space, Tucker. The vice president of Amazon's, you know, Amazon Communications, Jay Carney, the former White House press secretary before that, former chief aide to Joe Biden. Several of the people on his transition team are traced to the big tech companies. Look at where all of their money Money is going. You can. This is a public record. Look at the public data of where all of their donations are going. Are they going to get better? Eric Schmidt, Google, Facebook. We all know they were never more powerful than they were under the Obama administration. Under a Joe Biden administration, it will be ten, maybe fifteen, twenty times what it was then. Yeah. At some point soon, we're going to do a show where we just read the names of all the Republicans, people you voted for, or sent money to, who refused to lift a finger to save you from. What you correctly describe as this grave moment in American history. You're absolutely right. Sagar Jetty, great to see you. Thank you. Thank you, Tucker. I want to tell you, by the way, that we received a response tonight from the CDC about our segment last night on face masks. A spokesman for the CDC said that our coverage was misleading. Now, the spokesman didn't dispute that we had showed accurate data from the CDC, including that 85% of people who tested positive for coronavirus in July reported wearing a mask always or often. Instead, the spokesman said this, quote, at no time has CDC guidance suggested that masks were intended to protect the wearers. Huh? At no time has the CDC suggested that masks were intended to protect people who wear masks. That's what they said tonight. Now, that would be news to the director of the CDC, Robert Redfield. Here he was last month. I might even go so far as to say that this face mask is more guaranteed to protect me against COVID that when I take a COVID vaccine. This is the CDC? They're protecting us from this pandemic? They don't even know what their own director is saying. But whatever you do, don't question public health experts. Facebook and Twitter and Google will shut you down. Just put your mask on and obey. Now understand, there is audio of Biden talking about this. It has been out there for a long time, but here's a refresher we're not going to give you the billion dollars. They said, you have no authority. You're not the president. The president said, I said, call him. <laughs> I said, I'm telling you, you're not getting the billion dollars. I said, you're not getting the billion. I'm going to be leaving here. And I think it was, what, six hours. I looked, I said, I'm leaving in six hours. If the prosecutor's not fired, you're not getting the money. Well, son of a bitch. <laughs> got fired. And they put in place someone who was. Now, I want you to do this from the frame of reference. Do I think this is a big burning, burning down? The, the, the walls are crumbling. We got a freaking smoking gun. No. No, I don't. This is pretty much common knowledge. It, it's been obvious as Jump Street that there was quid pro quo in Hunter Biden's. And now you literally have emails stating it. The reason why I'm covering it is the reaction. Now, let's just think from... from the start of Age of Trump. In 2016, Hillary Clinton floated a bullshit story that Trump was working with Russia 
And some Russian bots bought $136,000 worth of ads. And they tilted an entire fucking election. Everybody ran with it. FBI, the whole nine yards. We now know that that conspiracy, a real scandal, sorry to say it, liberal media, was approved by Biden and Obama. They were read in on this shit. They knew this is what she was doing to deflect from the hacking of her server, which is a disqualifying thing for anybody else. Remember, we've run entire elections on Sandra Fluke as a whore by Rush Limbaugh. 47% comments. Illegally taped in California. But it was okie-dokie. And we never said that tape was ever altered in any way. Hell, we ran a whole election that McCain was dead. He was in the grave. Too old to be president. And as these years have gone by... You know, you couldn't talk about Hillary's health because that was sexist when she did a face dive in frickin' 9-11 Memorial. How dare you be an ageist? It's the hypocrisy of what we call fairness and intellectual honesty in elections. So we go through a whole 2016 that takes three years, millions of dollars, it's all bullshit, and it takes us right before the 2020 election to find out Hillary made the fucking shit up. We've gone after every one of Trump's kids. Everyone. There has been democracy dies in the dark, intellectually fucking bereft witch hunts trying to find anything on these kids. We had a whole foray in that Donald Jr. met Satan, correct? But Hunter Biden, no, that's not important. That's not important at all. So the New York Post puts it out, smoke a gun email, reveal how Hunter Biden introduced Ukrainian businessmen to VP dad, quid pro quo. Jennifer Jacobs, New York Post says Hunter Biden email photos, videos reportedly recovered from a MacBook Pro laptop that a Delaware computer shop owner told the Post was brought into repair in April 2019 and never picked up afterwards. And as we hear in that soundbite, because I want to kind of make it more pointed than just go into the details the fbi had that shit and they did nothing now let's just go back and look at the fbi we have the zork emails we have the insurance policy that came out of that we have comey who literally knew that hillary was in fucking ukraine there was no proof trump did anything and the fbi did nothing with that they just gave a strong admonishment in the press But the FBI sat on something for two years. Really ask yourself, if you're a liberal in Mountain View, California, which has always a lot of listens, and San Francisco, if that was Donald Trump Jr.'s laptop, would you be saying the FBI is nonpartisan if they sat on that for two years? That's the point that's killing me. Because remember, I'm not coming from Mr. Dude in his bunker who defends Trump, who's a bastard. I'm coming from 20 years in the goddamn army. Nonpartisan. Couldn't talk about politics. I lived the Clinton craziness where friends got the fucking boot while he was getting hummers in the White House. 
Same charges. He was the commander-in-chief. Couldn't say a word. The FBI's not supposed to be rooting for a team, folks. But as in everything we find in the Obama era of Washington, from the IRS to the NSA to the Nuclear Regulatory Commission having fucking critical race theory, it seems like we're all just on one political side. So crimes have the first thing to be inspected. What party are you in? And now we're not going to prosecute it. Because that's what we seem to be doing. As I said to my boss on a phone call yesterday, the most disheartening thing about all of this is that an outsider can't be president. For most of us, we would like a third party. It would be neat to get another choice that isn't the same cookie-cutter bullshit that says, I'm pro-life, I'm pro-choice, I want borders, I want everybody legal, without any fucking recourse. This is old. That's why we end up with Donald Trump and Joe, I am really fucking old. Somebody bring me my soup, Biden, who can't form two sentences with a thesaurus and a dictionary, for Christ's sake. Which, oh, by the way, we got that today from ACB, too. We're changing dictionaries now for the left. Fuck me running. What the fuck? So... After all this breaks and it, you know, the conservative world's going crazy, it was not a trending thing on Twitter because Twitter suspends White House press secretary for sharing Biden's story. Yeah. Facebook says we're going to restrict dissemination of this article. Uh, this is insane. Twitter flagging New York Post Hunter Biden email story is potentially harmful and unsafe. This is big tech information coup. This is a di- digital civil war. I, an editor of the New York Post, one of the nation's largest paper by circulation, can't post one of our own stories that details corruption by a major party presidential candidate. Potentially harmful. Tweet not sent. Your tweet couldn't be sent because the link has been identified by Twitter or our partners as being potentially harmful. Visit our help center. Abigail Marone, Twitter is now flagging the New York Post story, and Joe Biden lying to American people is unsafe. Twitter now won't even let you post this link, saying we can't complete this request because this link has been identified by Twitter or our partners as being potentially harmful. Stephen L. Miller, testing. Sobra Abrahami's claim on the Biden New York Post. I get this as well. And he shows it. They blocked dissemination. Now, understand, we just had a New York Times hacking of Trump's taxes. And that shit was okie-dokie, artichokey. We had no problem putting that shit up. We had all, all that information out there in the street. Any smoking fucking gun, walls crumbling It's the end of his presidency bullshit on Russia, Russia, Russia. Oh, that shit went out. We had no problem with that. But Twitter 
was on board. They were on board with this because they're Team Biden. And God damn it, as I said, we cannot fucking have the October surprise be against the lefty. That's not how this works. We grabbed the pussy in 2016, remember? We didn't do Russia, Russia as much. They were floating it, as I've said on the show. I was watching CNN and MSDNC at that time, and they had that Fallon fuck on there all the time talking about, well, you know, he's working with Russia because they were already floating that shit. And they finally got the article they needed from the media for the FBI to link onto that shit and start investigating. And that's how it all worked because we played that soundbite on the show of Nancy Pelosi saying, well, all you got to do is float this shit out there, get a media member that's good to your cause and they put it out and then you can get this thing flowing and the media will keep reporting it and then the FBI will get involved. We played it. She told us how they make the fucking sausage on everything. So when the world goes crazy yesterday, Shannon Bond from Twitter Spokesman, in line with our hacked material policy, as well as our approach to blocking URLs, we are taking action to block any links to or images of the material in question on Twitter. Twitter policy says you can't use it to directly distribute content obtained through hacking that contains private information. Company says it's taking this action because of the lack of authoritative reporting about the origins of the material in the New York Post piece. Responses. That's laughably false. Wasn't hacked. It was surrendered. There's no evident materials were hacked. If a laptop is left unclaimed at a repair shop for a certain period of time, it becomes property of the shop. On the off chance this was hacked material, we are flagging it and not allowing it on our platform. I guess it's a good thing the laptop wasn't hacked then. Sean Davis, by falsely claiming the records were hacked rather than the legal property of the repair shop following payment default by Hunter Biden, Twitter is itself deliberately spreading false information to justify its illegal election interference, and he's right. Wasn't hacked. And you allowed New York time hacking because somebody gave up Trump's taxes. Once again, I don't think this will be a hill of beans. The guy's got a D behind his name. There's nothing going to happen to Hunter Biden. There's not going to be any investigation. But once again, Twitter, I keep saying once again, it's repetitive and it's annoying. Twitter is picking a side. You are blatantly siding with one party. And you're doing it in a way that is so intellectually dishonest, it feeds in to everything conservatives say about big tech. And why did they make this rule, boys and girls? Well, of course they made this rule because of 2016. When Wikipedia released all Hillary's stuff, that was bad for them. That means Hillary lost. And we can't fucking have a Democrat lose a fucking election. So we've done all this shit. I mean, my wife is suspended from Facebook for calling a woman a demo-rat. They were arguing, and she said, you know, I'm so sick of Democrats. That's what she said. They suspended her for 48 hours. They are so involved in this election because they're scared of the Twitter mob that you can't post anything. That's why I left Facebook. 
I knew this was coming. They said it was coming. So you made a whole new set of rules just to block anything from hurting an election for the Democrats. Then we get the next article. Reporter says the New York Post primary Twitter account was locked for distribution of hacked material. This is an actual reporter, Noah Manster. The Post primary Twitter account has also been locked because the Hunter Biden story violates his rule against distribution hack material. Twitter says it's done because of the lack of authoritative reporting, blah, blah, blah. Per the story, the emails came off a copy of a hard drive obtained by Rudy Giuliani. Original hard drive was left at a Delaware computer shop. Emails weren't hacked then. Why is Twitter saying this? But they carried it as news. They carried number one in the country yesterday. Sexual preference that we'll get into our ACB thing. But this was not carried. This was suppressed. Kaylee McKinney. Breaking. Twitter has locked White House Press Secretary Twitter account. What happened? We have determined this account violates the Twitter rules. Specifically, for violating our rules against distribution of hacked. Her tweet, new, email from Ukrainian executive to Hunter Biden asked Hunter to use his influence on behalf of the firm, paying him 50K a month. An email which subject urgent issue obtained by New York Post Father Joe Biden was in charge of Ukraine. Still Waters replies, and that's why I'm reading it again, Twitter has made a lot of folks very angry. It's true. By evening time, Jack comes on. Mr. Dorsey, our communication around our action on the New York Post article was not great, and blocking URL sharing via tweet or DM with zero context as to why we're blocking is unacceptable. But it's still blocked. (laughs) Yeah, that's not right, but go fuck yourself, conservatives. Ian Miles Chong, there is no evidence the emails are obtained via hacking. Please revise. Do you shadow ban based on political beliefs? Simple yes or no will do. We all know the answer to that question. They have sown the wind and they shall reap the whirlwind, comfortably smug, because conservatives are going after them in committee. Stacy, 1776 and MLK, you all may want to review the Streisand effect, All you ever accomplish by censoring or suppressing is to make sure the distribution is wider. Just let people engage with the content they are interested in. We're adults, not children. And she hits the point of all of this. What the left doesn't want is a free society. They don't want people to have their own goddamn beliefs. We talk about this on every fucking podcast from censoring wordsmithing the fuck out of every word to say it's racist, sexist, homophobic, xenophobic to shut you down to what we're going to teach in our schools, which has to be liberal oriented. To fucking what's on TV with the new, oh, you must have 50% fucking uh, minority group on every facets to catering plus the theme of the show. When we all live in a society that if you put out a good show on gay rights, people will watch it. They put out a show, We Will Rise, and even gays didn't watch it because it only valued about 3 million people a night. 
And then instead of saying, hey, we put out a really shitty product product that even the people it was pointed at didn't want to watch, oh, everybody's a homophobe. Because they think they're the smartest people. They think they're so smart. They know everything. They know what's right. And if you don't want to go along with them, they just force it because we know better than you. There's actually a soundbite of Maisie Arano saying that we're just so smart that it's really hard for people to understand how fucking smart we are. And that lady is a fucking train wreck. I know I keep punching ahead to the next segment, but that lady, Jesus Christ, who the fuck votes for her? My God in heaven. But they won't let Americans just make their own decision of whether something is right or wrong. Does anybody on this planet really truly believe that Russian bots on Facebook made Hillary lose that election? No. It was the 12-year thing. When was the last time we had 12 years of the same party? Bush H. Since then, we have not. It's eight years, and we flip teams. That's what America does. They're sick of the same old fucking story. They want something new. God knows what it is, but it happens every eight years. You get somebody new. It's very rare the vice president or person from that administration gets elected. And as we are right now, all the gnashing of teeth and freaking out. Is anybody in this country really ever undecided? Every time we show one of these town halls, it's all bullshit. The people are not undecided. They just play like they are. They're, they're fucking character roles that they bring on that invariably we find out that they're anti-Trump. But everybody has it. The grabbing the pussy didn't change anything because everybody had their opinion made. You either wanted four more years of Obama or you wanted a change. In this case, you either want four more years of a Trump economy without COVID or you want a different go. Hunter Biden fucking story will not affect the people that are voting against Trump because we know they're not voting for Biden. Enthusiasm levels are at all-time low for this Democratic candidate. It's against Trump. That's what they want to do. So will this change it? No. Hunter Biden could have fucked a panda. They don't give a shit. They don't want Trump. I mean, this is just insane. That you think you can't put something out. And that goes back to what we talk about. If you can't talk about your policies, because you know they're too extreme. If you're so worried about something like this, what does that say about you? You think people can't have information because you'll lose your power. Maybe you should do what the American people fucking want. Maybe your policies and your statements and the way you talk should be chained towards, hey, what does America want? Not just the coast. Not just your liberal friends or your gay friends or your POC, your BIPOC fucking activist friend. Maybe you should actually channel your effort towards getting all Americans. Goddamn, we can't have that. Kyle Griffin, 
Drew Holden has receipts showing MSDNC producer doesn't always have a policy against spreading possible disinformation. Kyle Griffin, no one should link or share the New York Post report. You can discuss the obvious flaws and unanswerable questions report without amplifying what appears to be disinformation. He then tweets him showing John Heilman says that strangely, Mark Judge, frequently a bar in D.C., where he tended bar. He was everything you can imagine him to be from the book he wrote. He was an obnoxious, slovenly, disrespectful, thuggish drunk. That was about Kavanaugh. We were good about that. Uh, here's another one. Schiff, in terms of president business, what we in- we're interested in is does the president have business develop dealings with Russia such that it compromised the U.S.? All fake, all bullshit, all on MSDNC or meet the press. So we were fine with that misinformation because those are lies. It was a fucking lie. But we're good with that. We're good with all the lies that hurt the right. If you could hurt Trump, you could put out that fucking Trump literally ate the ass of a walrus with no proof. And you could put that on the cover of the New York Times. Trump eating walrus ass. And it's going to fly, man. It has flown since fucking November 2016. We have no problem with that. There's no fucking retraction. We just ran ACB stories that she was linked to the handmaids. All false. They even said in the article. They put the article out with the correction, for fuck's sake. They just wanted the the click. It was a good title. ACB, handmaids. And then you get this article. Google research warns Google may be shifting power to flip Senate. The social media researcher who warned about Google power to shift the election said that the company may be focusing on a new solution, the Senate. Robert Epstein, senior research psychologist at the American Institute of Behavioral Research and Technology, told the Media Research Center that Google is now focusing most of their vote-shifting power on the Senate races, where big margin outcomes will be hard to contest. 35 seats in the Senate are up for election November 3rd. Epstein theorized that Google has the power to mobilize the base supporter of Democratic candidates to register to vote and then to vote. They can discourage some Republican voters from registering to vote or voting. He wrote that the company had at least 9 million undecided voters they could still play with. The Google search not affiliated with the account shows the search bar autocompletes certain terms with Senate. When a user types, flip the Senate, flip the West, flip the switch, challenge, the top one is flip the Senate. How can we flip the Senate? It autocompletes it. Can the Democrat pack the Supreme Court? Is the first one. Vote Mitch McConnell out. The official Google blog stated, how do we determine these predictions? We look at the real searches that happen on Google and show common and trending ones relevant to the character that are entered and also related to your location and previous searches. Toli. However, a look at Google Trends shows the interest in term flip the Senate has been in steady decline since September 26th. Every time you tweet something, or excuse me, Google something, I want you to look at what it tells you. I've talked about it on the podcast numerous fucking times. Trying to find a pro-Trump article is like literally getting water out of a stone it just is so hard it will auto-complete anything negative it possibly can and then they say it's because of searches but that's a lie it's what they put in there if you don't think algorithms have a human touch you're smoking crack 
just smoking crack. So to the hunter, here's Maggie Haberman. She's a journalist, in air quotes. Both the computer and hard drive were seized by the FBI in December after the shop owner says he alerted the feds of their existence. Random store owner has it, copies it, a crime, and gives it to the president lawyer, which also responded to a federal subpoena. A bit odd. Tom Bevan, New York Times reporter, whose paper just published Trump's leaked tack doc, questions sourcing of a story. Isn't that the truth? Glenn Klessler. Got to cover WAPO. Can't be without it. Here's the Washington Post policy regarding hacked or leaked material during the final weeks of an election season. Be careful what it is in your social media feeds. So he just jumps on it. David Harris say, for four years of Russia hysteria, they broke every one of these rules. Molly Hemingway, the paper that was uncritically receptive for the sketchy edited leaks of Russian collusion narrative had a policy against what it did. Interesting, but weird how it unevenly applied. Also, the 2018 midterms and your smear operation against Kavanaugh would like a word. Because when it was Kavanaugh, when it was fucking Trump, we had no problem putting anything out. Anything. Kevin Cork, New York Post reports smoking gun email reveals how Hunter Biden introduced Ukrainian businessman to VP Dad. From New York Post, smoking gun Byron York. Kyle Cheney, the smoking gun email in the New York Post story, even if it's authentic, giving the massive red flags, doesn't actually say what the story says it does. Also recall, Russians hacked Ukrainian gas company as center of impeachment. That is Politico Congress reporter Kyle Cheney. I'm putting these out here to show you. It wasn't just Twitter. It wasn't just Facebook. It wasn't just Google. It was New York Times, WAPO. Everybody ignored it. You didn't hear a soundbite from ABC, NBC, CBS, PBS, New York, or fucking CNN, or MSDNC. They're not airing it. They're not talking about it. There's no Chiron. It got so bad by evening last night, Jerry Dunleavy, Republicans on the House Judiciary Committee, placed the New York Post article about Hunter Biden on their committee website to get around Twitter, Facebook, and the media. Yeah. That that's journalism. Once again, does it matter? Yes. If you're making up rules to not put something out, you're justifying the proof of that evidence. I don't care what you're saying. I don't care what your reasons are. You're making it real to most people. If they have intellectual honesty, there's only one reason the media and social media is not putting this out. It's because it's real, and you know it's real, and you don't want to hurt Biden. It's not some policy to protect election integrity. No, you don't care about integrity, and we'll show in a narrative today. You give no fucks about integrity. You want one party to win. And as we segue out to our only one song today, because it's in my head, I can't get rid of it, Little River Band reminiscing. And we go into ACB, which will be a short segment. Legendary. Barrett holds up, Barrett asks to hold up notes she's using to answer questions. She holds up a blank notepad. I wanted to say that, because when we come back in, you're going to hear the soundbite. These questions, once again, frame of reference for the whole segment. 
Could you ask a Democrat any of this shit?
Welcome back to Flyover Politics Podcast with Tony Reed. Move aside and let the man go through. Let the man go through. Move aside and let the man go through. Let the man go through. Andrea Mitchell, what I found about this is that this is one of the few questions that did. It wasn't a judge who responded. It was. Uh, an American citizen, a mom, uh, you know, it was one of the rare moments where, and I, and I kind of wish more senators would ask more questions like that so you find out the fuller picture of who these folks are. And that made her so relatable. Mm-hmm. This is a white mom with black children explaining the talk that black parents have had to communicate to their kids for generations for centuries if you will and this is a you know an interracial family a multiracial family it's something that is more and more present in america something not conceived perhaps by some people in the senate but others there are people on this panel who have black grandchildren and can relate to this and it's just um very accessible and touching to me and i think that that makes her a uh, it's one of the reasons why she um, was considered to be a very appealing candidate. Garrett, uh, so far, even from the accounts I'm getting from Democrats, they believe she's ha- they might not like the answers, but they think she's been very impressive, handled herself well, and not made any mistakes. Absolutely. I'm hearing the same thing from Democrats. Uh, and, you know, what she has done is try to follow uh, the lead of people who have been nominated before her, even by Democratic uh, presidents. And she even cited Elena Kagan. She cited Ruth Bader Ginsburg, although... Right. And let, let's be honest. If Number one, if we could roll back the clock, and we were not so close to an election. Number two, if we could roll back even further, and this were another Republican president in another age, I've been in Washington long enough, Judge Amy Coney Barrett would be getting 70 votes or more in the United no States question. Senate because of her qualifications. But we don't live in... As we just heard, Judge Barrett press repeatedly on Obamacare, Democrats suggesting she would cast a deciding vote to kill the law. But what are the actual chances of that? Let's bring in NBC's Pete Williams. Pete, any hints so far? Lester, Judge Barrett has criticized the Supreme Court's ruling that upheld Obamacare's individual mandate, so she might agree with the red states asking the court to declare the mandate unconstitutional. But the key issue in the case the court hears in November is whether the rest of the health care law can remain in effect. Some of the court's conservatives say judges should be reluctant to strike a law if only part of it is invalid. Even if she believes the entire health care law must fall, it's not at all clear there are four other justices who would agree with her. So Obamacare may be at greater risk with her on the court, but it's by no means certain that her confirmation would doom it various allegations about foreign influence. I, since he asked you about it, and since he asked about foreign influence in government, I, I think it's only fair that, that I ask whether, hypothetically speaking, just hypothetically, if there were, let's say, a vice president of the United States who hypothetically had an adult son, who hypothetically worked for a foreign oligarch, who then sold access to his father, the vice president, and his father then intervened in a case to make sure that that oligarch wasn't prosecuted, hypothetically, would that violate, would that constitute the kind of foreign corruption that the Constitution's concerned about? I can't answer hypotheticals. Well, I thought you might say that. Um, and I'm glad you don't and won't, because who knows, that case may come before you. But um, I think it's a fair set of questions to ask. Let me ask you about something different. Some butthead professor at Boston University says that because you and your husband have two 
children of color that you're a white colonist. The implication is that you're a racist and that you use your two children as props. Do you use your children as props? Senator Kenny, it was the risk of people saying things like that, which would be so hurtful to my family, that when I told Senator Graham this morning that my husband and I had to really weigh the costs of this, it was saying deeply offensive and hurtful things, things that are not only hurtful to me, but are hurtful to my children, who are my children, who we love, and who we brought, brought home and made part of our family. And accusations like that are cruel. Yeah, they are, aren't they? How low can you go? I didn't want to ask that question when your kids were here. I'm sorry I have to go through that. Okay, let's talk about the law. <laughs> uh, so that is our journalism. There was actually some journalism where they admitted, I mean, that one admission right there that she'd get a 70 vote, she's not a bad person. She really isn't. And if she had a D behind her name, or was perceived to have a D behind her name, excuse me, there wouldn't be all this Tom fucking foolery. But it's really hard to tell, and I know I'm playing a lot of sound bites today, but that's the best way to just show how fucked up our media is. By our non-journalism. I mean, this shit shouldn't be said about anybody in public life. But it is said openly on our mainstream media about her. And once again, I'm going to put in the MSDNC, Chuck Todd, who fucking was a damn DNC staffer and his wife is Jennifer Paul Mary's bestie, who's ruined Meet the Press. There is no religious litmus test. It is not a political controversy about whether or not the President of the United States should leave office if he, is, if, if he doesn't win election. That's not controversial. That's a simple thing. And the fact that she couldn't give a simple answer to that is easily the most terrifying and disturbing thing to come out of today. It's one person who gets to decide whether or not a Supreme Court justice recuses that Supreme Court justice. And Harris made her admit that it is in her sole discretion whether or not she recuses for a case, which is not just important for the ACA, which is what Harris was, was driving at, but it's critically important for this election where Barrett apparently doesn't think the president has to transfer power peacefully. It is critically important that the president of the United States is not allowed to pick the judge in his own reelection campaign. You know, Ari, if this were an SNL skit, uh, one of the senators would say, uh, Ms. Coney Barrett, what time is it? And she'd say, you know, I'm not here to commit to answering that question about time. I know time exists, but you know what I mean? Like, I mean, she literally yeah. just sort of went blank whenever someone asked her a factual question about the law. Yeah, if it were an SNL skit, I think that's on the money, Joy. This lady is a, let's just remind her, she's a sitting judge right now. So she theoretically knows the law. Amy Klobuchar, who I think also was a very effective questioner today, asked her a pretty simple, straightforward question. Is voter intimidation illegal? It's almost like Donald Trump is telling her, stand back and stand by, right? Again, we have to understand 
what this woman is being sent to do. We have to understand why it is so important for Donald Trump to get this justice on this court before this election. It would be the easiest thing in the world for her to say, you know what, I'm not going to do that. You know what? I really want this job. I really think I've worked my whole life to get to this point. But there is absolutely no way that I'm going to rule on an election um, for the president that just nominated me during the election. It would be the easiest thing in the world for her to do. The fact that she won't do it tells you all you need to know about her character and all you need to know about what she. Tonight, the Supreme Court showdown just three weeks before the election. Amy Coney Barrett makes her case, revealing how she'll base her judgments. Democrats arguing she'll threaten affordable health care. Protesters claiming women's rights will be in danger if she's confirmed. Good evening. With the Senate hearings now underway, the outcome of Amy Coney Barrett's confirmation to the Supreme Court hardly seems in doubt. But how we get to that outcome is tonight the emerging subplot to the hearings and the presidential election. Republicans with a majority in hand ready to confirm someone they regard as highly qualified. Democrats, however, framing the conservative judge as a threat to the Affordable Care Act, a key election issue. And now, after a day of pleasantries and positioning, are the gloves about to come off? With 21 protesters arrested at the Capitol, today's testimony kicks off a contentious four days. By replacing Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg with someone who will undo her legacy, President Trump is attempting to roll back Americans' rights for decades to come. Also tonight, some Democrats resigned to the fact that it's all but certain that Coney Barrett will be confirmed, are already demanding that she agree to recuse herself for any case that could impact the outcome of the election. Today, Democrats work to make confirmation hearings for Supreme Court nominee Judge Amy Coney Barrett less about her qualifications and more about the Affordable Care Act. They charge that a conservative court with Barrett on the bench would quickly move to gut the law. We get more now from CBS's Nancy Cordes. As demonstrators flocked to the Supreme Court steps, you solemnly swear that Judge Amy Coney Barrett laid out her conservative philosophy. Courts are not designed to solve every problem or right every wrong in our public life. It's the timing that makes this nomination a political powder keg, with Americans already voting in nearly 40 states. I think this hearing is a sham. I, I, Jeffrey, what I, do you think? Well, I'm, I'm just laughing because, I mean, Abby is so exactly right on that point, because you heard this over and over again from the Republican senators is that, you know, the 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 uh, um, uh, the courts, the Supreme Court should let legislate legislators legislate and not try to solve society's problems. And that, that, you know, we should be the ones to do health care. But what are they doing in the Affordable Care Act case? They are demanding that the Supreme Court of the United States throw the whole thing out. Well, and, and with and, no replacement. And, 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 and that. I mean, it's just so outrageous that that of all issues that to to be to be exercised about about policymaking from the from the bench, the the Trump administration having failed over and over again to come up with a replacement for Obamacare is simply throwing it on the courts and saying you get rid of it and then maybe something good will happen as a result. Okay, so Jeffrey, we do have today's opening statements and we do have. Judge Barrett's opening statement, and I want to read a portion of it for you and have you parse it for us. Okay? She says, courts have a vital responsibility to enforce the rule of law, which is critical to a free society, but courts are not designed to solve every problem or right every wrong in our public life. The policy decisions 
and value judgments of government must be made by the political branches elected by and accountable to the people. The public should not expect courts to do so and courts should not try. When you parse that, does that spell doom for the Affordable Care Act? Well, I think more specifically, it spells doom for Roe v. Wade, because it really suggests that um, issues like abortion, like gay rights, should be decided by the political branches of governments, the ones directly accountable to the people. Um, it, it is uh, it, the code there is don't expect the courts to enforce rights. If there are rights to be enforced, it should be the political branches of government to do it. So it's really more about social issues than about the Affordable Care Act in particular. We hope she gets a fair hearing. Of course, that's exactly what President Obama's nominee Merrick Garland was denied. But Republican senators assured us that this was the new election year standard. That was a lie. So when Mitch McConnell complained about the Democratic playbook of double standards, broken promises, and raw power, he was engaging in some primo projection. Here's some way to gate it. Judge Amy Coney Barrett's actually sitting in a stolen appellate court seat right now. That's right. Obama's nominee, Mara Selby, was the first woman and first African-American to serve on the Indiana Supreme Court. She was flat out denied a Senate vote. That's because Republican Senator from Indiana Dan Coats blocked it. In contrast, Democratic Senator from Indiana, Joe Donnelly, granted a vote to Amy Coney Barrett when she was nominated by Trump. But we're going to begin with that marathon confirmation hearing on Capitol Hill that is now stretching into the night. President Trump's pick for the Supreme Court, Judge Amy Coney Barrett, has spent the day defending her judicial philosophy and dodging questions about how she'd rule on future cases, including next month's challenge to Obamacare. Barrett also refused to say how she would rule on abortion, insisting she has not made deals with the president or the White House. And while she would not commit to recusing herself from any election-related cases, Barrett said she would not be used as a pawn by the president to decide the election in his favor. With her confirmation all but certain in the Republican-controlled Senate tonight, Democrats are focused less on stopping her appointment and more on making it a key campaign issue just three weeks before Election Day. Well, there's a lot of new reporting to get to tonight. Our team of correspondents is standing by to cover it all. CBS's Nancy Cordes is going to lead off our coverage tonight from Capitol Hill. Good evening, Nancy. Nora, President Trump's Supreme Court nominee has been on the hot seat for more than eight hours now, and both sides are praising her knowledge and her eloquence, even as Democrats accuse her of being evasive about some of her positions. Senators scanned Barrett's background today for clues about how she would rule. People say that you're a female Scalia. What would you say? Barrett clerked for the conservative giant in 1998. Justice Scalia was obviously a mentor, but I want to be careful to say that if I'm confirmed, you would not be getting Justice Scalia, you would be getting Justice Barrett. On many issues, though, she declined to share her views. It's not something really that's appropriate for me to comment on. I've never expressed a view on it. I can't answer questions like okay. that. The 48-year-old mother of seven said she was just following an example set by the late Ruth Bader Ginsburg. A judge sworn to decide impartially can offer no forecasts, no hints. But Ginsburg did state her support for abortion rights back then, while Barrett refused today to discuss her personal opposition to Roe v. Wade. Whether I say I love it or I hate it, it signals to litigants that I might tilt one way or another in a pending case. On something that is really 
a major cause with major effect on over half of the population of this country who are women, it's distressing not to get a straight answer. Can you set aside whatever Catholic beliefs you have regarding any issue before you? I can. I have done that in my time on the Seventh Circuit. And I know you're talking about, and Garrett was talking about the straw men uh, arguments that Republicans are making, including about this religious test that they say Democrats are wanting to impose. The Biden campaign likes to remind, as Senator Kamala Harris did during the vice presidential debate, Joe Biden, if he's elected, would be the second Catholic vice, uh, president of the United States in American history. And so they think they can brush that uh, argument away pretty quickly, Chuck. Mike Memoli on the road there. Mike, thanks very much. Ari Melber, you think about these larger questions about the law quite a bit. And, and th I, there's a part of me that's listening to the Republicans there and the, creating the straw man on the religious argument. Uh, and some of it, I feel like it's being done out of fear. What are they afraid of on this? Are they afraid of this spotlight, too? Um, it's almost as if they're saying, hey, this is happening. It's not happening. But there seems to be some you, you create a barrier because you're worried about people walking into that barrier. What are they afraid of here? It's just unheard of. Kavanaugh and ACB, for those that are just normals and you just tune in occasionally and you see it, you should just be going, wow, that's pretty bad. Because if Biden elects people, because we, we could pretty much, if we go with the polls, Biden's going to win. It's going to be like Kagan and Sotomayor. It'll be the media defending that they are the greatest fucking nonpartisan. They were spawned by Lady Liberty and are beyond reproach. And you can't ask all these fucked up questions. New York Times feminists grab at straws against Barrett. She's successful in spite of her faith because really this all comes down to fucking abortion. Molly Jong fast can't even with Lindsey Graham and Amy Coney Barrett's belief that unborn children are people. Molly Jong fast. I turn on the Amy Coney Barrett hearing, and it's Lindsey Graham talking about the rights of the unborn, and I'm in a rage again. Planned Parenthood. Fun fact, the fa phrase that Barrett used, we are a government of laws, not of men, is one that Scalia used often and was also used in Chief Justice Roberts' opinion disagreeing that the Constitution protects marriage equality, Oberfeld, which Scalia joined. Blue Check Genius helpfully explain that Amy Coney Barrett's organ originalism means that she's a misogynistic racist homophobe. You, Marth. And once again, if you're a blue check, you've been certified by Twitter at being a dickhead. That's basically your certification. Originalism would mean, among other things, that women couldn't vote, that black people wouldn't be people, that religious and ethnic abuse and exploitation of more minorities and say gay people would be perfectly acceptable. When ACB uses that word, think about all that. That's not what she said. At all. But that's their game. Because once again, liberty and freedom for Democrats is the ability to kill a baby. And they're so on the wrong side of statistics and what America thinks. Yes, boys and girls, when you buckshot a survey... And you ask, do you think abortion should be made illegal? The answer at 67% is no. Do you think there should be restrictions on abortion? The answer is over 70%, including young kids. Do you think that abortions should be financed by the federal government? 
Same number in the 70s with no. But they use the first one because it fits their little agenda. I am pro-life minus now. I was pro-choice forever, as those have stated the show, and I was for it. It's none of my goddamn business. Then I actually researched those fucking ghouls at Planned Parenthood and found out what they're doing, and I changed to, oh, yeah, we need some fucking restriction. But that makes me a fucking sexist pig chased on Twitter if I put out my opinion. Abortion mob. But that's what it comes down to. And then they twist it into handmaids, and they twist it into it's a religion, and you have people like Chris Cuomo, who I believe we heard, but we're going to play it again. Chris Cuomo, ACB, does have an affiliation in a religious organization, which I think makes her different than most Catholics. Her faith is by design more central to a value system and her behavior and thoughts than it would be for just an ordinary Catholic. But no, Chuck Todd, there is no religious questioning her um she does have an affiliation in a religious organization which i think makes her different than most catholics i think that her faith is by design more central to her value system and her behavior and thoughts than it would be for just an ordinary catholic who doesn't belong to people of praise but let's put that to the side nope no religious stuff none whatsoever Mm -mm. we don't care about a religion and what's up with both Cuomo's being the speaker of Catholicism, excuse me, end all be all. Once again, I don't know much about anything, but I know aborting a baby is against every goddamn religion there is. I'm just throwing it out there. It's what it is. And then we just get in our t- tomfoolery. And I could literally play hours of this stuff. Uh, I got great sound bites of fucking Coons, Durbin, Booker being a... Ah, fuck it. Let's just play it. What the hell? It'll be a little longer podcast than I wanted. Here's the Booker, Durbin, and and Coons. Because it's like making love. You got to take it slow, folks. Because Maisie Hirano, she's the climax. And I hope that you aren't suggesting that I don't have my own mind or that I, I couldn't think independently or that I would just decide like let me see what justice scalia has said about this in the past because i assure you i have my own mind um but everything that he said um is not necessarily what i would agree with or what i would do if i were justice barrett that was justice scalia so i share his philosophy but i've never said that i would always reach the same outcome as he did is roe a super precedent how would you define super precedent I, I, I actually, I might have thought someday I'd be sitting in that chair. I'm not. I'm up here, so I'm asking okay, you. Okay, well, people so. use super precedent differently. Okay. The way that it's used in the scholarship and the way that I was using it in the article that you're reading from was to define cases that are so well settled that no political actors and no people seriously push for their overruling. And I'm answering a lot of questions about Roe, which I think indicates that Roe doesn't fall in that category and scholars across the spectrum say that doesn't mean that Roe should be overruled. But descriptively, it does mean that it's a case, not a case that everyone has accepted and doesn't call for its overruling. I don't okay, think so that- here's what... Here's what- it strains originalism. If the clear wording of the Constitution establishes a right and you will not acknowledge it, 
Well, Senator, it would strain the canons of conduct, which don't permit me to offer off-the-cuff reactions or any opinions outside of the judicial decision-making process. It would strain Article 3, which prevents me from deciding legal issues outside the context of cases and controversies. And as Justice Ginsburg said, it would display disregard for the whole judicial process. Be denied or abridged by the United States or any state on account of race. For an originalist and a textualist, that is clear text as I see it. But when asked whether or not the president has any authority to unilaterally deny that right to vote for a person based on race or even gender, are you saying you can't answer that question? Senator, I just referenced the 14th and 15th Amendments, the same one that you just repeated back to me, that do prohibit discrimination on the basis of race in voting. So, as I said, I don't know how else I can say it, the Constitution contains provisions that prohibit discrimination on the basis of race in voting. But whether a president can unilaterally deny, you're not going to answer yes or no. Well, Senator, you've asked a couple different questions about what the senator, uh, what the president might be able to unilaterally do, and I think that I really can't say anything more than I'm not going to answer hypotheticals. It strains originalism. If the clear wording of the Constitution establishes a right and you will not acknowledge it. Well, Senator, it would strain the canons of conduct, which don't permit me to offer off-the-cuff reactions or any opinions outside of the judicial decision-making process. It would strain Article 3, which prevents me from deciding legal issues outside the context of cases and controversies. And as Justice Ginsburg said, it would display disregard for the whole judicial process. And I hope that you'll give me direct answers. The first one, um, you've already spoken towards issues of racism and how you deplore it. But I, I want to just ask you very simply, and I, I imagine you'll give me a very short, resolute answer. Um, but you condemn white supremacy, correct? Yes. Thank you. I'm glad to see that you said that. I wish our president uh, would say that so resolutely and unequivocally as well. But we are at a time that Americans are literally fearful because their president cannot do that in the resolute manner in which you did. I'm, I'm sorry that that question had to even be asked at this time. Here's another one. Do you believe that every president should make a commitment unequivocally and resolutely to the peaceful transfer of power? Well, Senator, that seems to me to be pulling me in a little bit into this question of whether the president has said that he would not peacefully leave office. And so to the extent that this is a political controversy right now, as a judge, I want to stay out of it, and I don't want to express a view on... So, Judge, I, I appreciate you what you've said about respecting our founding fathers, about the originalism. It's remarkable that we're at a place right now that this is becoming a question and a topic, but I'm asking you in light of our founding fathers, in light of our traditions, in light that everyone who serves in that office has sworn an oath where they, quote, swear to preserve and protect and defend the Constitution of the United States, I'm just asking you, should a president commit themselves, like our, our founding fathers, I think, have a clear intention, like the grace that George Washington showed to the peaceful transfer of power? Is that something that presidents should be able to do? Well, one of the beauties of America from the beginning of the Republic is that we have had peaceful transfers of power and that 
disappointed voters have accepted the new leaders that come into office. And that's not true in every country. And I think it is part of the genius of our Constitution and the good faith and goodwill of the American people that we haven't had the situations that have arisen in so many other countries where there have been, um, where those issues have been present. Thank you, Your Honor. Do you think that the president has the power to pardon himself for any past or future crimes he, have me, he may have committed against the United States of America? Well, Senator Booker, that would be a legal question. That would be a constitutional question. And so in keeping with my obligation not to give hints, previews, or forecasts of how I would resolve the case, that's not one that I can answer. Well, I, I think I agree with you that it is an issue right now, something I never thought would be an issue before. But it is an issue that our president may intend to pardon himself for future crimes or past crimes. Understand, during these hearings, her opinion amongst Democrats has increased 70%. That's how bad this has gone for the, the left, because they have literally spent all their time trying to demonize this lady, and it didn't work. People literally just said, hey, you know, she's not that bad. This is from Mediate, Dan Abrams' liberal fucking fascist website. It's like HuffPo. Support for Amy Coney Barrett among Democrats doubled from September to October morning consult. And it says it's gone up 70%. They hated her. Now they can't because she's actually a good gal. She's not a bad person at all. But they'll go with whatever. Katie Hill, the disgraced, I literally sexually harassed my female intern. I hate to be someone who judges women on their clothes, but I'm sorry ACB's outfits are all way too handmaidy. No, but no, Chuck Todd. There, there's no, 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 no. And then they got Maju Raju. Amy Coney Barrett won't say if she believes Roe was wrongly decided as Scalia's believe, says its con- contours could come up before the court and say I don't have an agenda. It's distressing not to get a straight answer. The recount asked multiple times whether she agrees with Justice Scalia's view that Roe v. Wade canon should be overturned by the Supreme Court. Judge Barris does not give an answer. Kate Smith, Amy Coney Barrett refused to answer whether Roe was wrongly decided. She says because there are so many cases challenging Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey, doing so would indicate a bias. John Hatweather, Bear refuses. Yamichi Alcinder, the fucking fascist, we pay for her goddamn salary PBS jackass. Miss Kung Flu. Senator Feinstein asked three times accounting, do you agree with Justice Scalia view that Roe v. Wade, Judge Barrett is refusing to answer directly. Instead, Judge Barrett says it can, can't pre-commit and I have an agenda to decide cases. Czar Beckett Adams. Good morning to everyone who's just now learning the Ginsburg rule. Abigail Marone, excuse me. The Ginsburg rule, a judge sworn to decide impartiality, can offer no forecast to hint, for that would show not only disregard for the specifics of the particular case, it would display disdain for the entire judicial process. You want to hear it? On the character of the decision they are called upon to make. There is, of course... That's her confirmation hearing. People who don't use Google beyond Trump. 
somehow for all these blue checks, everything prior to Trump doesn't exist. And we're just making shit up. Just like kids in cages. We use the pictures from 2012, but we say it's 2016 or 2018. In God We Trust, is this the Amy Coney Barrett SCOTUS nominee Senate hearing or political team's coach strategy huddle on how to beat what they perceive to be an opponent? Opponent, hat tip to Brazzers for the pick. A porn site took a pick of Blumenthal, Booker, and White House basically in a huddle, massless. Yet, I did not see Jim Acosta losing his shit. Because Democrats unmasked are just like BLM protests. They don't spread the virus. They're ordained by the God that doesn't exist because you're stupid if you believe in religion. Fucking jackasses. S.E. Cup. Trump made a mistake ramming through Amy Coney Barrett nomination and it could cost him the re-election. My latest. From her article. But what if in the shorter term it turns out to have helped send Trump packing from the White House? Trump and strategy aren't words you put together all that often. This is a guy who currently promising to kiss rally goers less than a week after contracting a deadly infection. But who am I to judge? Yet even by his standards, the politics of pushing Barrett through makes little sense even look to benefit Democrats. Instead of dangling the prospect of a third Supreme Court appointment, Trump insisted on giving it away to free before an election in which he is not assured of victory. In fact, Joe Biden is polling better. If Trump's very stable genius were made up more than just fumbling swipes and immediate gratification, he would have withheld the nomination and opened every rally from the day Ginsburg passed until the election, promising to deliver a third justice only when and if he is reelected. El Jefe, where's your outrage about mansplaining she's getting from White House, Leahy, and other male senators? Not a word. You're sad, pathetic hypocrite. You all have only focus on November 3rd. November 4th will be a much different day, especially if Biden wins. And he's right down the pike. Right down the pike. There is so much mansplaining that just a week prior was bad at the VP debate. Here's that idiot White House. Plus nine equals box all right that's where the cat goes and b i'd love to make that argument to the jury i'd be really hard pressed to be the lawyer saying no 80 to 0 is just a bunch of flukes all five four all partisan all this way so something is not right around the court and dark money has a lot to do with it special interests have a lot to do with it Donors' trust and whoever's hiding behind donors' trust has a lot to do with it. And the Bradley Foundation orchestrating its Emmy key over at the court has a lot to do with it. So I thank you, Judge Barrett, for listening to me now a second time. And uh, I think this gives you a chance um, for you and I to tee up an interesting conversation tomorrow. And I thank my colleagues for hearing me out. Thank you, Senator to the Judicial Education Project, which could take and allocate the money. And guess who works for the Judicial Education Project? Carrie Severino, who also helped select this nominee running the Trump Federalist Society selection process. So the connections abound. In the Washington Post 
article, they point out that the Judicial Crisis Network's office is on the same hallway in the same building as the Federalist Society, and that when they sent their reporter to talk to somebody at the Judicial Crisis Network, somebody from the Federalist Society came down to let them up. This more and more looks like it's not three schemes, but it's one scheme with the same funders selecting judges, funding campaigns for the judges, and then showing up in court in these orchestrated amicus flotillas to tell the judges what to do. On the Judicial Crisis Network, you've got the Leonard Leo connection. Obviously, she hopped in to take over for him with the Federalist Society. You've got the campaigns that I've talked about, where they take $17 million contributions. That's a big check to write, $17 million, to campaign for Supreme Court nominees. No idea who that is or what they got for it. You've got briefs that she wrote. The Republican senators filed briefs in that NFIB case signed by Ms. Severino. The woman who helped choose this nominee has written briefs for Republican senators attacking the ACA. Don't say the ACA is not an issue here. And by the way, the Judicial Crisis Network funds the Republican Attorneys General. It funds RAGA, the Republican Attorney General's Association, and it funds individual Republican Attorneys General. And guess who the plaintiffs are in the Affordable Care Act case? Republican Attorneys General. You know, if you're going to use props, you should probably practice using props because then you end up looking like a prop. They all know Senator Whitehouse single sentence to Amy Coney Barrett singles Dems realize it's game over. Granny Flowers. So Whitehouse said, when you get up there to Barrett, and the whole world went with it. Yeah. It, it, they pretty much know they can't stop her. They just can't. Because she's not a bad person. And as we go into the climax of Maisie Hirano, all three nets skip Dem Senator asking Barrett if she's a rapist. You use the term sexual preference to describe those in the LGBTQ community. And let me make clear, sexual preference is an offensive and outdated term. This time bring everybody along. Regardless of color, sexual preference. Based on whatever color, whatever what their sexual preference might be. By race, by age, by sexual preference. Doesn't matter what your sexual preference is. What their sexual preference is. Never in the course of her military career had anything about her sexual preference had any impact. Based upon race, color, or preference, or sexual preference. I don't think that you use the term sexual pre- preference as just, uh, I don't think it was an accident. Our society has come to respect uh, people, um, whatever their sexual preference. Uh, To ensure the fitness of nominees for a lifetime appointment to the federal bench or to any of the other uh, positions uh, for any of the committees on which they appear. Uh, I ask each nominee these two questions, and I will ask them of you. Since you became a legal adult, have you ever made unwanted requests for sexual favors or committed any verbal or physical harassment or assault of a sexual nature? No, Senator Hirono. Have you ever faced discipline or entered into a settlement related to this kind of conduct? No, Senator. 
Judge Barrett, do you think it is appropriate for justices to consider real-world impacts in their decision-making, as Justice Ginsburg noted in a number of her dissents? Well, Senator, the doctrine of stare decisis. Democratic Senator Maisie Hirono bringing back questions that we haven't heard since the Kavanaugh hearings, asking Judge Amy Coney Barrett if she's ever sexually assaulted someone. Since you became a legal adult, have you ever made unwanted requests for sexual favors or committed any verbal or physical harassment or assault of a sexual nature? No, Senator Hirono. Have you ever faced discipline or entered into a settlement related to this kind of conduct? No, Senator. She flat out said, look, I see the law, I would interpret the law, a lot like my old boss, Justice Antonin Scalia, who, of course, was one of the most conservative justices on the Supreme Court. She emphasized that she wouldn't be Justice Scalia, that she would be Justice Barrett. And she pointed out that even Justice Scalia and Justice Clarence Thomas uh, have disagreements. But Justice Scalia and Justice Thomas are really conservative. So most people wouldn't see a lot of daylight between there. That was really different. And in some ways, that tees up what I think could be almost an historic first for this nomination. She could be the first conservative woman with that strong, overarching judicial philosophy the Supreme Court has ever had. It's only had one conservative woman, Justice Sandra Day O'Connor, but she was more of a pragmatist. And she voted with liberals quite often, certainly in the back half of her career. There's something wrong with somebody who's in that position, who in 2020 doesn't know that sexual uh, people's sexuality is not a preference. It is because if it was a preference, many homosexual people that I know would not choose it because why would you choose to be vilified and attacked and have to be behind the eight ball all the time when it comes to the law? You know, when it took years and years and years and years and years to get married. I mean, you would not pick that. Why not pick the easy way? So it just, to me, it showed a kind of a, a, a either a naivete or was she a dog whistling to some of her, uh, her side? I'm not sure what was going on there. Questioning her. Um, she does have an affiliation in a religious organization, which I think makes her different than most Catholics. I think that her faith is by design more central to her value system and her behavior and thoughts than it would be for just an ordinary Catholic who doesn't belong to people of praise. But let's put that to the side. Could you fucking imagine a conservative asking Kagan or Sotomayor, have you ever raped somebody? Could you imagine that going over okay? I I just don't understand. And it didn't stop there. Because her sexual preference stuff that the advocate used 19 days ago, that Biden used a million fucking times. Went to the fucking dictionary. Orwellian dictionary changes definition of sexual preference to smear ACB. As recently as last month, the Webster Dictionary included a definition of preference as orientation or sexual preference. Today, they changed it and added the word offensive. Preference. Definition of preference. The act of preferring the state of being, the power and opportunity of choosing, one that is preferred, the act, fact, or principle of giving advantage, priority and the right to demand and receive, orientation. Now, the act of offensive See usage p- 
paragraph below, orientation, sexual preference is a offensive term. Right after it. Alan Cole, it's always good to double check claims like this before retweeting. I did so, and the claim is precisely accurate. Yesterday morning, Matt Walsh says, Yesterday morning, sexual preference was a perfectly normal term. By lunchtime, left-wing Twitter and decided that it's problematic. A few hours later, Democrats were denouncing it publicly. Then came the media think pieces. By bedtime, the dictionary changed the definition. Sean Davis, the revolution will be complete when the language is perfect. And then the rest of the world saying, Orwellian. I could read for days. Conservative media literally saying, Are you fucking kidding me? We literally changed the dictionary to support Democrats. Ben Shapiro instantaneously retconning the dictionary to meet with woke dictus is a little on the nose. Cultural fascist. I say it all the time, and some of you out there probably think I'm a fucking nutbag, Alex Jones, that these people are the fascist. Then you watch them do it. Block important, groundbreaking, smoking, grum, guns, fucking walls, crumbling shit that they did for three years of a presidency, and they block it now because that's just bad. And changing words. To conform to the latest. Alexandra DeSantis. 2020 feminism means shaming a conservative woman for using an innocuous phrase that wasn't offensive until yesterday. Glenn Greenwald. This is what happens when a party uses vapid cultural war symbolism to obscure the reality that they have no real politics. And they're right. Before we play a Tucker speech section on it, because it was really good last night, Democratic Senator torched online for asking Amy Coney Barrett if she has ever committed sexual assault. Here are some of the replies from that. Um, so disrespectful, Senator Ron Horano is shamelessly shameless. Another person wrote, someone else tweeted, just when you think that you can't possibly go any lower, Horano comes through and lowers the bar more. Disgusting question by Senate Democrat Maisie Hirano from Hawaii. And as I said before, how the fuck is that piece of shit a senator? Who voted her in? I, I, I just can't even understand how that becomes your senator. Hirano decried the presumption of innocence during Kavanaugh confirmation, telling CNN September 2018 that due process makes it really difficult for victims and survivors of these kinds of traumatic events even to come forward. And before we even came to the committee, I oppose her nomination and will fight to deny her lifetime position in the United States Supreme Court, and in doing so will tell the American people the danger she poses to hard-won rights. With no backup. We, we don't back up those claims. We just say it. Here's Tucker. If you weren't fully awake as you watched yesterday's Supreme Court confirmation hearings, you may have missed Amy Coney Barrett, who seems like a decent person, saying something 
deeply offensive. We're going to replay it for you for its news value. We want to preface that with an NC-17 warning. Here's what she said. I have no agenda, and I do want to be clear that I have never discriminated on the basis of sexual preference and would not ever discriminate on the basis of sexual preference. Yeah, you heard it. Sexual preference. It's hard to watch that. Fortunately, Hawaii Senator Maisie Hirono was in the building to prevent future generations from having to live with filth like that spoken aloud. Watch. Not once, but twice. You use the term sexual preference to describe those in the LGBTQ community. And let me make clear, sexual preference is an offensive and outdated term. It is used by anti-LGBTQ activists to suggest that sexual orientation is a choice. It is not. Sexual orientation is a key part of a person's identity. So the world is falling apart. China is taking over the world. The American economy is in shambles, and there's a presidential election in three weeks. But luckily, America's dumbest senator, Maisie Hirono of Hawaii, is upset about the right things. The term sexual preference, it's a slur. As it turns out, she didn't know that herself until some left-wing Twitter personality made that discovery yesterday morning. But things move fast. By afternoon, Democrats were repeating it in the Amy Coney Barrett confirmation hearings. And by evening, our dictionary... The Merriam-Webster Dictionary updated its definition of the word preference to indicate that the term sexual preference is, quote, offensive. In other words, Maisie Hirono, truly the slowest person to hold public office in the history of this country, is now in control of our dictionary. Whew! Is that good news or bad news? Hard to know. It's definitely not good news for Democrats, many of whom made that very public slur just until the other day. Joe Biden, for example, must be canceled now. Rebuild the backbone of this country, the middle class, but this time bring everybody along, regardless of color, sexual preference, their backgrounds. As the president has gone, become so divisive in terms of everything he's done, based on race, sexual preference, oh, just across the board. I did not think we should discriminate against people based on their sexual preference. Allowing anyone to be in the military regardless of their sexual orientation or preference. Oh, sexual preference. So Democrats want you to know it can't be a preference. Your sexual desires can't be voluntary. They're inborn. They're mandatory. You must go with nature. This is the only subject on which they're on nature's side, amazingly. And now the dictionary agrees with them. But Biden is not the only one to use the wrong words. It turns out, according to Maisie Hirono, Ruth Bader Ginsburg herself was a bigot. Watch. Our society has come to respect uh, people, um, whatever their sexual preference. Oh, we're going to have to rethink her sainthood. Maisie Hirono wants to assure you, however, that this is a problem worth fighting. And if you don't understand that, you're probably dumb. One of the things that we uh, Democrats um, have a really hard time uh, is connecting to people's hearts instead of here. We have a really hard time doing that. And one of the reasons that, that it was told to me at one of our retreats was that we Democrats know so much that is true. And we have to kind of <laughs> tell everybody how smart we are. <laughs> the ultimate triumph of self-esteem. Maisie Hirono considers herself an intellectual. It's just all too great. 
Douglas Murray isn't from this country, so he can laugh at it. He's one of the smartest people to write in our language. He's the author of the book, which if you hadn't read, you should, called The Madness of Crowds, Gender, Race, and Identity. We're happy to have Douglas Murray on with us tonight. Douglas Murray, great to see you. Great to be with you. What is this about exactly? Sexual preference now not an acceptable term. Yeah, well, what's uh, most disorientating about this, of course, is that we know the whole Democratic playbook on this, and it's so dull and boring, isn't it? I mean, it's totally predictable how the radical left are going to behave. If Amy Coney Barrett had been a man, we know that by now the Democratic left would have been saying that she was a misogynist. They would probably have tried to research whether she'd ever drunk beer in the late 20th century. And uh, if she hadn't have adopted uh, two black children and loved them and cared for them uh, as her own, they would have been trying the racist one by now. Uh, But uh, they couldn't try either of those, so they had one other shot in their gun, and that was to say that she is some kind of homophobe. That's the other uh, remaining accusation they've got. And they're doing it on the basis, as you say, of a term which everybody used until yesterday. In fact, uh, uh, The Advocate, which is a sort of legacy uh, gay magazine in America, probably the main gay magazine such as it exists anymore, uh, used the term sexual preference just three weeks ago. Uh, So there is nothing sincere in this, as there is nothing sincere in all of these accusations that the radical left likes to use. They just weaponize them to try to win. So why do we take it seriously? Why do we fall for it every single time? Why do we respond at all? Well, one reason, all of this ties up, doesn't it? You mentioned Jack and Twitter earlier. You know, Twitter put this story at the very head of Twitter today. It was said it was the number one most important subject on the planet. Uh, uh, we have Senator Hirono uh, uh, leading the charge to stop people using words that everyone used till yesterday. And this is the thing, we're being manipulated, apart from anything yes, else. That's right. Not just by radical leftists, but by big tech that tells us we've all got to be incredibly aggrieved at the same things that deeply grieve she pretends, Senator Hirono. It's such a smart point. Douglas Murray, always a great pleasure to have you on our show and in our country. Great to see you. When you couple Twitter with the dictionary, with Facebook, and the amount of coddling that is going on, all because 2016 didn't go the way the left wants, it's why I have a podcast. They've lost reality And they still think they're objective. And all they have is narrative. When the media becomes part of one party, no longer have news, we have narrative. Quote Ro Khanna, a man you know well, I assume you admire him, he's a Democrat, and he just said this, he said, people in need can't wait 
until February. $1.8 trillion is significant and more than twice the Obama stimulus. Make a deal. Put the ball in McConnell court. So what do you say to Ro Khanna? What I say to you is I don't know why you're always an apologist and many of your colleagues apologists for the Republican position. Ro Khanna, that's nice. But there are millions of Americans who have lost their jobs. They can't pay the rent. Their kids need the food. That's right. And that's what we're trying to get done. $1.8 trillion. And the president just tweeted, stimulus, go big or go home. He wants even more right right now. So why not not work on a deal with him? And don't let the perfect, as they say here in Washington, be the enemy of the good. Well, I will not let the wrong be the enemy of the right. What's wrong with $1.8 trillion? You know what? Do you have any idea what the difference is between the spending that they have in their bill and that we have in our bill? Yesterday, I spoke to Andrew Yang, who says the same thing. It's not everything you want, but but there's a lot there. Honest to God, you really, uh, I can't get over it because Andrew Yang, he's lovely. Ro Khanna, he's lovely. They are not negotiating this situation. They have no idea of the particulars. They have no idea of what the language is here. I didn't come over here to have, so you're the apologist for the Obama, excuse me. God forbid. Madam, Madam Speaker, I'm, I'm not Barack an apologist. Obama. I'm asking you serious questions because so many people I'm are in desperate you need we... right now. Let me yeah. ask you this. Okay. When was the last time? Let me, you... let me respond well, to well, you. Let me ask you, you. When was the last time, Madam questions. Speaker, when was the last time you spoke with the president about this? I don't speak to the president. Speak Why with not? his, Why his not representative. What makes me amused, if it weren't so sad, is how you all think that you know more about the suffering of the American people than those of us who are elected by them to represent them at that table. Is that what this is all about? Uh, not allow the president to take credit if there's a deal that no, will help I millions of Americans that. right now? He's not that important. But let me say this. With all due respect, with all due respect, and you know we've known each other a long time, you really don't know what you're talking about. And I have only the greatest back. respect so for you. So do the math. Madam we have Speaker, come down, I have only the greatest respect for you. We have come respect down $1.6 uh, trillion. $1.8 trillion. $1.8 trillion is a lot of money. The American people need that money ASAP because they're suffering right now. And I, I'm, I'm not saying it's perfect. But I'm and saying, you don't care how it's spent. And I, you don't care I care, how of course, spent. how it's spent. But again, you've been on JAG defending the administration all this time with no knowledge of the difference between our two bills. And I thank you for giving me the opportunity to say that to you in all person. Right. Madam Speaker, these are, these are incredibly difficult times right now. You are not right on this, Wolf, and I hate to say that to all you. Right. It's not about me. It's about millions of Americans who can't put food on the table, who can't pay the rent. And we represent them. And we represent them. And we represent them. These long food lines that we're seeing. I know you are. them. I'm I'm just saying. We represent them and we know them. As we We say. We know them. We represent them. Don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good, as they say. It is nowhere near perfect. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for your sensitivity to our constituents' needs. I am sensitive to them because I see them on the street begging for food, begging for money. Madam Speaker, thank you so much. Have you fed them? We feed them. We feed them. It's good to have you. I'd like you to respond to that, but also more about what the speaker said about you. Roll the tape. Rokana, he's lovely. They are not negotiating this situation. They have no idea of the particulars. They have no idea of what the language is here. Well, Congressman, I, I know you want a deal. 
I also know you worked at Commerce. You have a degree in economics. You actually taught economics at Stanford. So do you have no idea of the particulars here? Well, look, I have great admiration for Speaker Pelosi and her skills as a negotiator. I'm just talking about people I hear in my district. I represent uh, Silicon Valley in Cupertino, where you have Apple computers. We have food banks, lines of thousands of people who don't have enough food to feed their kids. We have working families who can't pay the rent. We have people uh, who are struggling with small businesses, immigrants who have restaurants, and they're concerned 20, 30 years of work is going to go down the drain. I'm speaking for them. That's my job as a member of Congress to say we've got to help them get something done. Well, that's exactly your job, is to represent the people in in your district. You've called it a moral obligation to do something, and your message was really clear. Speaker Pelosi, take this deal. She's not going to take this deal. I wonder how many other members of your caucus have told you they agree with you, but maybe they're just too scared to say it. Bobby, a lot of members want a deal. And look, the Speaker is right that there have to be some things that need to be amended. We need to get some billion dollars for testing. We need a full comprehensive testing plan. We need to make sure there's no violation of the ADA. I believe we need to come to a spirit where we say we can get those done. We're not as far apart uh, as uh, people may think. And we have an obligation to be constructive and get this get this done. And there are a lot of members uh, who believe that. But I'm confused. It really read in that tweet, like you said, take this deal. Are you now saying don't take this deal? What I said is we should make a deal. I'm not saying that we should take exactly the language of what the White House offered. What I have said is we ought to be able to work close and we should be able to make the deal. And I think we can. I think we can say to the White House and I think subsequent creeds have put this out. Let's have seventy five billion dollars for testing. Uh, Let's have the language correct. And I think we're very close. Most people believe we're close and then put the ball in McConnell's court uh, to pass it. Okay, but the speaker was clearly saying that interview that you guys aren't that close. There is the fact that the the president's top economic advisor, Larry Kudlow, told Jake Tapper on Sunday that the Treasury Secretary, Stephen Mnuchin, may even offer more above the two point two trillion that that Speaker Pelosi wants. So what about Democrats who would say to you, no, 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 listen to what Kudlow said. You know, Mnuchin and the president may go higher. We got to wait for that. Is it is it wrong to wait? Is it like people in your district are, need this now? Yeah, look, I if, if the speaker has a way of saying in one week we're going to get a two point two trillion deal and I'm not putting that uh, ruling that out. Great. I'm just saying we've got to do something. We can't uh, not do anything and play and just have back and forth. Uh, partisan politics. We've got to help people who are in need. Uh, if she believes that waiting a few days is going to get us two point two trillion more power to her, and I support that. What I what I am trying to say, and a lot of members believe, is that what is unacceptable is to, for us to go away uh, with no deal. Well, yeah, I think it's a complete abdication of responsibility, duty. It is your job to make a deal on something that actually both sides agree need to happen, and you guys need to be able to agree on something for the American people. Um, but you brought up the food food lines, right, in your district. And we looked, and Second Harvest, a food bank in your district, says that they are seeing an average of half a million people each month. That is double where you guys were pre-pandemic. And I wonder if you think part of the problem here is that so many members, most of the members of Congress are actually millionaires, the median the median income for people who, in Congress who filled out the financial disclosure forms is a million dollars. So are most members of Congress so rich that they don't really get what it's like? 
Bobby, I don't think that's true. I mean, look, I uh, came from a middle class family, but I've done very well. Uh, my district is one of the most yeah. affluent districts in the nation in Silicon Valley. Uh, and yet the point as being a Congress is you have to represent everyone. And if you listen to people in my district, one of the most affluent places, people are basically in tears that they're going to lose their restaurant, that they're going to lose their small business, that they can't make rent. Uh, FDR was wealthy, but he heard people. And I just think, I don't think this is rocket science. You don't think it's at all a problem? And I'm not speaking to you specifically. I'm just saying the fact that there is such wealth in Congress, you know, many have reported over the years that that contributes to the disconnect. I'd love to, if your point is, should there be more working class Americans in Congress? Absolutely. And we should talk about campaign finance reform. We should talk about the problems of incumbency. We should talk about why uh, those roadblocks are there. But given that we're not going to have an influx of working class folks uh, in uh, the next two weeks, Mm -hmm. what we need to do, those of us who are in Congress have to say, why did we want to serve? We wanted to serve to help people. People are hurting out there. They're suffering out there. We have a contested election and people are going to get to vote from that. Let's just on this one thing in helping the American people take that out of politics, get something done and uh, do our duty at the time of crisis. And I I really think that sentiment is actually widespread amongst the amongst the caucus. Let me ask you one final thought. And we should have that conversation about more working folks in, in Congress at another time. But you repeatedly over the spring had been calling for $2,000 a month direct cash injections to average Americans, so much so that you and Ohio Congressman Tim Ryan even, even you know, put forward a bill calling for that. That's not in this. So, so what changed? Did you, did you find that that was just untenable? It wasn't going to happen? No, I, that's what I would love. And I voted for the original HEROES Act, which was $3.4 trillion. I voted for the $2.2 trillion that the House Democrats have. I believe our House plans are better than what the White House is proposing. But the point is, I'm one of 435 members of Congress. There are two chambers of Congress. The Republicans control the Senate. Uh, Trump is in the White House. And the point is, I could say, well, let's have the Connor Ryan plan or nothing. Or I can say constituents of of mine are hurting. We have to compromise. We have to get something done. And I'd rather they get some stimulus check and some rent assistance than nothing. And that's really uh, what we're talking about is uh, get something done. Let's all compromise Mm -hmm. at a time of a national crisis. That would help a lot of Americans to have a little more compromise. Thank you. That is so fucking hilarious. That, that's what you get when you don't ask questions of the left. They're never pressed like Republicans are. Republicans are, you know, once again, I'm an independent, but when you watch the media, Republicans are pressed on what Rush Limbaugh says. Literally. They're not just pressed on, you know, what their party does. They're pressed on what every person, crazy fucking racist, they're pressed on it. They were asked questions when they fucking Bernie supporters shot up a baseball field. They're held accountable when there's mass shootings. Is it your policy because because of uh, your gun stance that this person was able to get a gun in a Democrat municipality? If the president says something, every conservative is asked that question. And we spent eight years of obstructionist, the Republicans won't work with the dear leader, freaking anointed one. 
We're four years of obstruction. We're talking obstruction with impeachment, with Mueller investigation, with media just attacking a president for two scoops of ice cream and a fucking light switch. Those were stories. And when Nancy Pelosi gets asked, what the fuck, Chuck? And then some jackass over on CNN actually gets asked by Keller. They don't have answers because it has nothing to do with right, wrong, demographics. It's they don't want a check signed by Donald Trump showing up at people's houses before election. That's all it's about. He can have no victories. None. And then you get studies. Biden has had 50% fewer media questions than Trump. And the ones he's been asked, he just fucking ignores. Article from Real Clear Politics. Media helped Biden's Wizard of Oz campaign. Totally breaks down how they're just carrying him. Because, you know, he's Biden. He's playing the, oh, I'm I'm literally not going to, it's COVID. No, he's not. They don't even use that as a goddamn excuse anymore. They just don't show that he only has eight people show up in their social distance cars. They, they never show that. And instead of talking about, hey, Donald Trump's got a lot of motherfuckers showing up, even in COVID, because they don't give a fuck. They're supporting the president. It's a super spreader. That's all they talk about. Super spreading. Then we get to the packing, which was big last time. Under pressure, AP backs down from trying to spin Supreme Court packing as depoliticizing. Tom Bevins, with lightning speed, the Associated Press adopts Democrats' language on SCOTUS, adding members is now depoliticizing the court. Only critics refer to it as packing, and then they went away from it. But MSDNC, nope, pack a fuck away. And so Joe Biden had been asked this question time and time again about so-called court packing. And then last night in this interview with an Ohio affiliate, he said he's not a fan of it. Joe Biden is a moderate. He's an institutionalist. He's campaigned about restoring normalcy such that it exists, uh, restoring civility. And so he says this is not something that he's a fan of. Although, as we well know, there are progressives in the party who say the only way to preserve landmark cases like Roe v. Wade is to expand the court. And frankly, it is a warranted action given as Democrats see it. The last two, well, last last seat and potentially two seats now have been stolen, as they Mm say, uh, from Democrats, Chuck. But Biden and Harris, yeah, we're still not answering that question. We're just not. We're going to ignore it. It's like it doesn't freaking matter. It's just a done deal. To some odds and ends, veteran political analysts and many more rage at NBC News over indefensible decision to host Trump Town Hall. Tonight, they're competing town halls. So once again, because we're in a biased fucking media that is such garbage, there will be a 90-minute town hall on ABC for Biden. There will be a 60-minute town hall for Trump. And nobody at NBC nor journalists are very fucking happy about that. 
Tomorrow night was supposed to be the second presidential debate, but the president's COVID-19 diagnosis threw a wrench into that plan, sparking a messy debate of its own over making the town hall debate virtual. Well, the president refused that option, so it was canceled. And instead, we will now see both President Trump and former Vice President Joe Biden in primetime Thursday, but on separate channels. The candidates will join dueling network television town halls. Biden will be appearing on ABC, while President Trump will be joining NBC at the exact same time. With me now is CNN media analyst Bill Carter. He's a former media reporter for The New York Times. And Bill, you say that these dueling town halls are worse than no debate at all. Tell us why. Well, essentially what they're doing is they're disenfranchised. They're disserving the voters because the voters would have seen both guys together. Here they're going to be separate. And, you know, obviously people will make a choice which one they're going to watch. I mean, I, and one of NBC's defenses is, well, it's the modern age and people can watch, you know, both debates if they record them and watch at different times. People aren't going to do that. They're going to take, you know, a choice. They're going to say, well, I like Biden, so I'm going to watch him or I like Trump. But let's face it, Trump is the television performer. And the last debate was him, you know, creating all this distraction and noise and cacophony and that like a traffic accident and people like to watch a traffic accident and he's probably going to do much better by the way nbc is running this across multiple networks at the same time so trump's doing it to try to have the advantage of saying look at my ratings look how much better i did versus biden and you know they're giving him what he wants essentially so is this in your view a candidate bailing from a debate and then being rewarded with a primetime audience you know at the same time that his opponent is on yeah, it essentially is that. And, uh, you know, NBC can make the point. They gave Biden a, a, a town hall so they can give Trump one. The fact that it's at the exact same time is the issue. Of course, they should have Trump on if he wants to do it. But why not do it Friday night? Why not do it Saturday night? And the argument that they have to do it at the exact same time makes no sense to me because there are other avenues to do it. So you're obviously disserving the voters by putting them in this position where they have to choose. Well, I mean, so this is what we're going to have, right? We're going to have these two primetime events at the same time. And with that in mind, how should these networks be challenging these candidates since there is no town hall debate where they would be challenging each other? That is clearly the big question about these debates. I mean, you know, people will ask questions and the candidates will probably be rather polite to them. Even Trump, when he did a previous town hall, on ABC, he was kind of, you know, a little deferential, which he is not usually going to be against Biden, obviously. But the moderator has to press him, press him this time. They can, they can't let them, you know, be run roughshod over, which is what's happening, you know, to poor Chris Wallace. And I think, you know, Savannah Guthrie is, is doing this for NBC, and there's so many things going out there at the same time that Trump is putting out there that she really should step in and say, "Wait a minute, that isn't the case." It's going to be a real challenge for them, and especially now that it looks like they've made a deal favorable to him, I think there's a lot of pressure on NBC. Uh, they have to really step up. Yeah, I mean, I am very curious. It does seem like, having watched that last town hall, that there was more intervention on the part of the anchor than there would be just traditionally in a debate. So I guess we'll be watching tonight, Bill. We'll be checking in to see what you think and how it goes. Great. Bill, thank you so much. Nice to be with you. I got to tell you, though, the story of the day, you know what everyone is talking about? All of everyone I know. They are outraged about what's happening tomorrow night. Uh, the dueling town halls. Yes. Why on earth would NBC agree to do that? All right, I'll plus minus it. Fair it, it, time. Uh, equal time. Oh, you can do equal time.
on a different night. You can do equal time at a different time. You don't have to do it at the same time and then, uh, and then divide the country further by having them choose. The whole point of it was to bring them together. It's the only time to he have a debate. Us. He said he wouldn't do it any other time. Well, he, so he's controlling the programming schedule at NBC? Something's better than nothing. Uh, so then, the, then they learn nothing from 2016? They're allowing a man who made all the wrong decisions by going, showing up at a debate, not getting a, a COVID test, and then becoming a super spreader, and then refusing to do the debate. And they're allowing him, they're giving him, they're rewarding him with prime time on a major network, on cable, and on their Spanish-speaking network. Someone who made all the wrong decisions and someone who backed out of a debate. How does that help the American people? How does that inform the electorate by putting those two people on at the same time and making people choose from one to the other? And don't give me that BS about where you can take one. That's not what it's about. This is an outright embarrassing ratings ploy on behalf of NBC. And I am shocked and surprised that they would allow the president of the United States to do their programming and manipulate them into doing this. It is embarrassing. I have spoken to several friends, especially over at MSNBC. They are incredulous about this. They cannot believe it is happening, especially the people of color over there, my LGBTQ friends who are over there, the way that this president treats them. They, it is just, they're like, oh, fine. If you, want to, if you want to give Donald Trump airtime on your network, have him go on MSNBC. Have him go on with with Rachel, have him go on with Joy, have him go on with someone where he can be challenged rather than going on a town hall where he's going to take questions and he's going to try to avoid them. So I don't understand it. I am, I am outraged by this. And for all of my brothers and sisters who are over at that network and are afraid to speak out because they think that, you know, they're going to lose their job or lose their standing or, or there's going to be repercussions for it, I will speak out for you. It is outrageous, and I cannot believe NBC is doing it, and I am sorry for you. And guess what? I think you should speak out. I think at any, there is no other moment where you have this much leverage, and you're going to be able to tell your bosses what you think is right. There's no need to do it at the same time. Absolutely no need. It is absolutely ridiculous, NBC. It's a pure D, as we say down south, ratings ploy, and you should be embarrassed. Can I go now? Hey, you're a grown man. You're a grown man. You can go whenever you want. I have not. I, I, this, my side of the case sucks. <laughs> go on. <laughs> I'm just sitting here taking a beating by proxy uh, of what's going on. Look, I'm not talking to you. I'm uh, not, no, I didn't I know. say you. I know, brother. I know. What I'm saying is, uh, look, this is what we need. What we need is the management making the decision to explain the decision mm -hmm. um, because the vacuum is toxic. And if you're going to do something like this, what Don Lemon is saying right now is not going to shock you. So why did you do it? That's what needs to be done. And that's the answer, actually, for all your brothers and sisters and friends uh, that you know over there, is that management needs to have their back by taking the heat and making the case. Otherwise, they're putting their own people in a bad position. Yeah, tonight was a very good night that they could have done it. That's mm -hmm. all I have to say. This is me speaking. I'm well, not the speaking still for young. the entire, Maybe they'll call into your show. I'm not speaking on the entirety of, of CNN. I'm You're just not? speaking out for the because because it doesn't. I, this affects this affects um, people who are voting.
right? Look, there's no they question. Yeah, Putting them this, on at the same time the is the worst kind of inequity for the public, because which do they watch? Why would you for the whole point of a debate? is to give them equal access to the candidates. That's why people get frustrated when one person dominates in a debate or the moderator doesn't do what they're supposed to do. Because this is my one chance, this is my mm. one shot to have them together. Yeah. This is anathema to that. Yeah. This is the worst of that. This is now you're forcing me to watch one at a time when they're on at the same time. And, I, you know, I can't even get it straight. I might as well watch none of it. I might as well Terrible. give up. It's a metaphor for the whole problem. It's it, exactly of the entire past four or five years. It is a metaphor. I'm glad you said that. But remember, they're objective news. We're told all the time by Chuck Todd and company, they are objective news. Chris Saliza, for the millionth time, we do not pick sides. While Frito says, punch a motherfucker in the face, and Don Lemon says, all white men are terrorists. Andrea Mitchell, NBC News to host Town Hall with Trump on Thursday. The, and political magazine columnist and veteran political analyst Jeff Greenberg couldn't be angrier. The decision by NBC News to run a Trump town hall directly opposite ABC's town hall is indefensible. A.G. Hamilton, honestly going to need someone to explain this to me. Why would a news network own deference to a competitor's town hall with another candidate? Damon Linker, I really don't understand this reaction. Why is it indefensible? Because it supposedly helps Trump, hurts Biden? Why would one assume that? Prashib J. Shakur, not a conservative, because they don't like Trump. It's that simple. And because they do believe that if you put two people on the screen at the same time, and those two people are talking, you see a huge difference. It's huge. Those two men could be night and fucking day. Because one guy is fucking SJ dump SJW bumper sticker. And another guy off the cuff just tells you what you want to hear. And whether people like it or not, or that he says it nicely, or that he sometimes is a fucking jackass on his Twitter account, it's still pretty impressive the difference between these two men. But oh no, AP, supposedly a news organization, this is an article, NBC faces backlash after agreeing to Trump Town Hall. As I read this, listen to the names. Uh, NBC News faced sharp backlash decision to host President Donald Trump against ABC, blah, blah, blah. MSDNC's biggest star, Rachel Matter, made no oblique reference to, made two oblique references to the matter on her show Wednesday during an interview with Biden running mate, Senator Camilla Harris. Matto asked whether she was as mad as everybody else about town hall. I'm not touching that, Harris said. In a second reference to the town hall on her show, Matto spoke as the words apparently they're not kidding were shown on the screen behind her. Side note, old Tater Brian Seltzer who was a podcaster in his basement like me and now does a full-time anti-Fox show, isn't Hannity the Antichrist because he has Trump on all the time? Camilla Harris has a chair on the Matto desk. NBC said it agreed to set up the dueling town hall after Trump was administered a coronavirus, blah, 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 blah. 
the president and Biden were supposed to meet Thursday, blah, blah, blah. Critics of NBC questioned why the network scheduled Trump for the same time, making viewers have to choose if they're interested in seeing both candidates react live in a similar format. Veteran journalist Jeff Greenfield, we did it. Um, another one he did, they rewarded Trump by giving him this time. Katie Couric, former host of NBC's Today Show, said on Twitter that NBC decision was bad for democracy. Remember, she went after Palin because it was the right thing to do, not because she wanted Obama to win. And oh, by the way, she's been caught lying about gun statistics, and we played the video on the show of her omitting answers because it didn't fit her agenda. Yeah, but go ahead. NBC actress Shakina Nafayak, whose comedy series Connecting will be prompted Thursday by the town hall. Y'all signed my check of late, but I'm disgusted by my home network giving Trump a platform for fear-mongering, bigotry, and disinformation. NBC said in a statement that Trump campaign did not dictate or request a time slot, nor express any preference. The network considered it important for Trump to be given the same format day and week and length of time as Biden had on NBC last week, although he will still have a different moderator, Savannah Guthrie. NBC said Trump would at least be 12 feet away. Trump's ability to reach a national television audience Thursday was in part dependent on Fauci, who had expressed anger at the Trump campaign in recent days. Both town halls will begin at 8 p.m. Eastern, but Biden will have the last word. The ABC event moderated by George Snuffleupagus, a Clintonite, will last 90 minutes. NBC will only give him an hour. It goes back to the Hunter story. They don't believe you should be given the information to make your own decision because they don't trust you. You're not smart enough. They need to make the fucking decision for you. You're stupid. There's so many goddamn deplorables here, folks. You can't have deplorables. Here for a musical break as we go through some odds and ends some more is some real deplorables. Mojo and Frito. Let's take a look at that Mark Meadows situation because reporters wanted to get information from him. That's what they do. But he refused. Take a look and look at why. I, I tell you what, let okay. me do this. Let me pull this That's, away. Yep, pull away. And then that way I can take this off oh. the top. Well, I'm more than 10 feet away. I'm not, well, okay. I'm not going to talk through a mask. What, okay, what, so here's what the problem. He refuses to talk through a mask. And this clown, if I may, is playing games with masks. On top of the fact that we had Mike Lee in the hearing who was diagnosed positive with coronavirus. Am I correct? Sitting in the hearing with no what mask. What is surprising is that people like Mike Lee would be that inconsiderate and that reckless with the lives of people around him. That Mark Meadows would be that inconsiderate and reckless with the lives of people around them when when I, I I really I can't imagine being part of a macho death cult that Mark Meadows obviously feels he needs to be a part of that Mike Lee feels he needs to be a part of where you're that inconsiderate to other people if I'm talking to reporters and they ask me for their own safety for me to keep on a mask I keep on a mask. I keep on a mask. False promises of disappearing pandemics, magical economic rebounds, pretending you can only trust him when more of his people have been forced out or indicted than anybody, including Watergate. 
calling himself the greatest in the ring when he can't float or fly. He can just lie and deny. We are on the ropes in this fight thanks to pure trumpery. No, I'm not making fun of the president's name. That's his game. Trumpery is a real word from long before Trump. It means worthless nonsense, as in all flash, no cash, all show, no go. It derives from Old English, trompery, deceit, French, tromper, to deceive. This president's name could not be a better fit. He and his people like to play with mob references, right? Especially when it comes to me. Well, there's one that applies to him and his desperate, desperate last round of antics. When he says he wants to go out into that crowd and give everyone the kiss, remember the Godfather? He's giving you a kiss, all right. It's Ibachi di tutti baci, the kiss of all kisses, the kiss of death. You want to kiss people right after catching COVID when not wearing masks in close quarters is making us sick? It's killing us. In his reaction, I want to kiss all of you as I dance the night away. Look at him. YMCA. Is he dancing or is that some of the long haul COVID uh, symptoms I haven't seen yet? Is he all right? He's all right. 215,000 dead. He's doing his whatever, happy dance, masquerading as if you don't need masks. Not once has he done a moment of silence for all of those who have been lost, all those families at any of his rallies. But soon enough, he's going to be done doing the talking. The fight is going to end and soon. And he will listen to your decision because ultimately you are the judge. So the question for us tonight as we begin is what does the present tell us about where we're heading between now and the vitriol and hate that they have and they portray every day and they're not held accountable for violence or anything in our street is almost comedic. It would never be tolerated for Obama. And if Biden wins, if anybody goes on Fox and talks like that, the FCC will pull their fucking license. Because they're fascists. They don't want any opposing views. These people are so bad. Get a life. Did spin attacks ESPN's Adam Sheffer, Sheffner for white privilege over harmless joke. Adam Scheffner, three weeks from today and a usually significant day with potential ramification for years to come. The NFL trade deadline. Dicario writes, sports media is overpopulated by privileged white people, myself included, but is especially populated by privileged white men who are never called to account for their privilege or use it in any constructive way. Such terrible judgments, such lack of a compassion or care for people they cover that it merits calling them out. And a fuck you to every non-white person who has been and continues to be deeply affected by the action and policies of Donald Trump in 2020, while the president continues to refuse to disavow white supremacy, while COVID continues to ravage black and brown communities at two and a half times more than white ones, while people wait in line to vote for upwards of 11 hours, this is the joke Adam Sheffer decides to make. Because remember, 24 hours, 7 days, especially holidays, we push our fucking agenda. We tell you your racist uncle should go fuck himself and he gets no turkey. Ronnie K, 
Someone actually wasted time writing this. John Manley. This is a huge stretch. It's the breaking headline that does it for me. Sheesh, Deadspin, who's been caught making up stories, and they were linked, and they went all over Twitter during Russia, and they were all false, and Twitter never removed them. Adam Schepner is a sports reporter. He reports sports. There's other things going on in the world other than the election that you guys are still fear-mongering. And why is it always white people who put out these tirades about how black people are treated? Other than Jabel Hill and Kendi X, you don't hear black people going, Trump's sheer existence is ruining my life. It's always a white liberal. SCOTUS shuts down 2020 census for now because they're still trying to fuck with that. Because once again, they just want power. They want those demographics to be higher so they can get bigger districts and then they can put in all their 25th and get rid of electoral and filibuster and two new states and take away your guns and just fucking fascist the fuck up. As they crime about 11 hour waits in line, which nobody fucking believes. California, don't sanitize or microwave your mail-in ballot. It'll destroy the ballot. Because now they're really spinning. They realize you're fucked. You're truly fucked. With the post office throwing shit out, with stuff getting lost in the mail... I can't even get a package from Amazon on time from USPS. I ordered stairs the other day. They say they delivered them at 3.30. I found them on my doorstep at 9 o'clock at night. They had said they delivered it. They did not. And then they continue with this white supremacy bullshit. Rich Grinnell noticed that CNN's John Berman forgot to ask Governor Northam one important question. CNN John Berman just interviewed the governor of Virginia who talked about white supremacy and Berman never asked a single question about his KKK hood. That guy's still in office. He literally talked about live birth abortions. And the media covered for that. Because they cover for everything. I mean, that's what they do. It's it's just fucking insane that they can just spin everything over and over and over for the left. I I still say it every show, every couple shows. I I, I don't know how. I don't know how you can look at our media and not say they are fucking hot goddamn garbage. As a prep to go into our This Is America, this is ABC talking about the campaigns, covering for Biden's lack of attendance, and playing that COVID shit. President Trump back on the campaign trail, mask-free in the battleground state of Florida, in front of a jam-packed, mostly mask-free crowd. I'll kiss everyone in that audience. 
I'll just give you a big fat kiss. Joe Biden campaigning in Ohio with his socially distant supporters in their cars, calling the president's behavior reckless. The president was not wearing a mask and neither were most of the supporters at that rally. In the battleground of Ohio, an entirely different scene. Joe Biden supporters socially distant in their cars, honking their horns instead of applause. Biden painting himself as the grown-up in the race, calling the president's behavior since contracting COVID unconscionable. The longer Donald Trump is president, the more reckless he seems to get. Also tonight, the Supreme Court confirmation hearing for President Trump's nominee, Judge Amy Coney Barrett. Democrats warn health care coverage for millions of Americans, including those with pre-existing conditions, is on the line with this nomination, with a major case before the court just days after the election. Judge Barrett today saying courts are not designed to solve every problem or right every wrong in our public life. The Democrats united in their message today, one after another, arguing that her nomination puts health care coverage for millions of Americans, including pre-existing conditions, on the line, with that major case before the court just days after the election. The stage was set, a socially distanced hearing room, but Democrats, in a surprise, changed the script. For once remarkably united, one after another, the Democrats argued that this confirmation threatens all Americans' health care and the protections for pre-existing conditions. But Senator Amy Klobuchar pointedly reminded Graham of Ginsburg's final wish that her seat would not be filled until a new president is installed. Democratic vice presidential nominee Senator Kamala Harris appearing by remote link, also invoking Ginsburg with a dire warning about Judge Barrett. By replacing Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg with someone who will undo her legacy, President Trump is attempting to roll back Americans' rights for decades to come. But health care was the Democrats' main line of attack, and it got personal, sharing moving stories of constituents who depend on the Affordable Care Act. Democrats steered clear of any mention of Judge Barrett's Catholic faith in contrast to her 2017 confirmation hearings for the appeals court. But Republicans still accused them of using her faith against her. It's unbelievable. The fact that George Stuffberger literally can be a moderator for Biden when he is clearly a liberal he's always been a liberal he'll always be a liberal just shows how garbage our media is i know there are righties and people that used to work in the bush campaign that are on fox but when they go to do something important like debates and things like that they go to chris wallace who has the credos of being the wallace objective correct but not everywhere else savannah guthrie being the moderator for a trump event is like putting maddo in charge there's no difference there's no difference whatsoever she is biased we all know she's biased and with all the craziness, with all this, hey, we're going to fucking not let anything be on Twitter and the utter discontent that the media showed for Trump since day one. Come on, people. I understand you hate the guy. And I understand that we're always going to be stuck with some liberal bias in our media because they 
all live in left world. They, they are lefties. They live in New York. They live in L.A. They live in the D.C., Chicago, you name it. They are very, very biased. But you got to pretend. And you think at least during election season, they can just put information out and let the American people decide. If the left is so perfect and they are the end-all, be-all, where America wants to go, they should win. On ideas alone. But that's the point. They don't even talk about ideas. They just talk about rancor and divisive bullshit and fear-monger the fuck out of every freaking minority and female and gay group. You pick a demographic. That's the plan. Which brings us to our This is America. Once again, Andrew Cuomo did not do a good job on COVID. He had a letter that literally a director that sent people back to old folks home. And latest count, 6,000 freaking grannies died. But they projected it was Trump. And then this guy was carted around like he was the end-all, be-all. There's a New York Times article that shows that the exodus of New York City alone spread the disease to Florida and the fucking West Coast and killed a lot of people. But then he had the gall to shut stuff down. He had de Blasio shutting down the city, requiring two-week wait times for people to come back and all that bullshit. And now we're rolling him out like he is the savior. And it's just not true. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the worst soundbite. When the liberal media is pushing one of them agenda story and says, This is America in 2019. extremely concerned that the president is being advised by people who speak of herd immunity. Herd immunity is another word for mass murder. That is exactly what it is. If you allow this virus to spread as they are advocating, we are looking at two to six million Americans dead, not just this year, but every year. I want to make sure people understand what has changed over the last few days is that the White House now seems to be explicitly endorsing the concept of herd immunity. There was a background phone call. White House officials who didn't want to be named, they supported this document from this think tank that Allison was talking about that says we need to let young people get infected. It was implicit in many of the policies. The states were being given instructions by the White House not to enforce rules against bars, not to make masks mandatory. That was implicit. Explicit is another thing. Explicit is close to promoting death amongst our country, fellow countrymen. As I say, this means the policy that seems to be f- being followed now is to have two to six million Americans die this year and next year and the year after. But what I found so fascinating about your book, you took us through a TikTok from the beginning, how it started, what we were learning. I felt in real time 
we were learning what you were thinking and the decision-making process. You said, listen, there's no blueprint for any of this. You said we had to, you had to develop trust, and trust leads to truth. So 19 days in when you ordered that lockdown, how did you think or did you think people would pay attention to what you were saying? Because none of us had been in this situation before. You know, Gail, you raise a very good point. Yeah, I felt, though, many people felt you were the only one who was telling us anything. You know, you gave us hard truths. You didn't try to sugarcoat when, when we needed to hear the truth. And, there, and you also talked about your own vulnerabilities. You're a bona fide girl, Dad. You've got three daughters. that the, Even they were saying to you, Dad, what's the deal? Your brother, Chris Cuomo, went through a very nasty battle. You had a mom who you hadn't seen like many people hadn't seen their mom. And you exposed a lot of your own vulnerabilities. And I'm wondering, as a governor of the state, how you were navigating that, also navigating your own personal duties, too. Yeah. Uh, you know, Gail, you're right. I do want to talk about lessons learned. And, and it would seem that one of the bigger mistakes we can all agree on was back in March, the state of New York sending sick COVID positive seniors back to nursing homes. Thousands died in those nursing homes, no matter how you counted a big portion of the overall death toll. Knowing what you know now, looking back, I, I got to assume you would do things differently. Uh, look, there's no doubt that we learned lessons. On the nursing homes, the first point is uh, that's how we were introduced to this virus, right? It was a nursing home in the state of Washington. The virus preyed on the weak, and it preyed on people in nursing homes. And most of the lives lost, the single greatest percentage is in nursing homes, and that's true all across the country. Uh, and there's also no doubt that we're in this hyper-political environment, so everybody wants to point fingers. Uh, New York actually... We're number 46 out of 50 in terms of percentage of deaths in nursing homes, 46 out of 50. So, uh, yes, people died in nursing homes. Uh, yes, uh, we've learned a lot of lessons. But 46 out of 50, uh, it's not a predominantly New York problem. If we had to do it all over again, Tony, I would do things differently. March, absolutely. There were the idea that the hospitals were going to be full was a real one. You wanted to free up beds. But to Jonathan's question now, and you do a lot of reflecting in this book and you admit to some mistakes, maybe we should have done masking sooner, maybe we should have shut things down earlier. That's all early March fog of war stuff, and we get that. But with the benefit of hindsight, would you not have issued that March 25th directive to send COVID-positive patients back to nursing homes, and will you do it again if this comes up? Yeah, uh, Willie, I hate to get uh, technical with you, but sometimes these things are technical. There was never a directive that said we will send COVID positive people back to nursing homes. The directive, which was modeled on the federal directive, said you cannot discriminate. But the state law clearly says a nursing home can't accept the person unless they can can treat them. Uh, having said that, would my health department have followed the federal guidance? Obviously not, knowing the political issue it was going to create. But there was no issue in reality, is what I'm saying. Uh, because we never did have a scarcity of beds. We always had additional hospital beds and emergency beds. So no nursing home was forced to take someone. We never got there. Other states are there today, interestingly yeah. enough. And they're Republican states, and that's why the president has stopped saying it. I, I mentioned that we talked a couple heard from a couple people, by the way, many of whom like you and think you did a good job generally, but who were upset by the way you've talked about this nursing home issue and pushed off responsibility to other people. What do you say to those families who believe that the death of their loved one was preventable? 
One of the things I find reprehensible about it, Willie, is they the president did create that impression, which is cruel. It's cruel. It's cruel to say to the families who lost people in nursing homes, well, this could have been prevented by a different government policy. Uh, it makes their pain worse. It is not true. If you want to rewind all the tape, uh, we should have been testing staff before they walked into a nursing home. That is true. And that's back in March when we didn't have any tests. We were told uh, asymptomatic uh, spread wasn't possible, that you had to have a symptom. So the nursing home workers without symptoms were allowed in. That was bad information that we received. That's how you would have really prevented it. Uh, but the, for the president to create a narrative which is factually untrue, which causes pain, I understand his political reason. I mean, he needs uh, some counterattack on COVID. But it's just, it's untrue and it's mean. Well, I mean, your Department of Health wrote the March 25th advisory. So just to put a fine point on it, do you take any responsibility for the 6,600 deaths in nursing homes in the state of New York? Oh, look, I take responsibility for every death in the state of New York. I'm governor of the state. Uh, I take responsibility for every death. Uh, I don't care, frankly, if uh, uh, if it's my fault, not my fault, if it's the federal government, if it's God that did it. Uh, I'm responsible. I'm in charge. And I've never run away from that. Uh, but I also want to make sure we have facts here, Willie. I really pray people take him at his word and don't vote for him. Because as we repeated every podcast, and we will till Election Day, 25th, Electoral College, packing the court, removing the filibuster, making two new states, taking away guns, taxing ammo with background checks, two red flag laws, making freaking gun manufacturers liable for cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs mass shooters, a national license, federally funded abortions, all illegals legal, defunding the police, defunding and getting rid of ICE, because we're not going to have fucking borders all of a sudden. Those are their policies. They've been allowed by complicit media not to talk about the policies and just talk about Trump, because they know the only reason why people would vote for Biden is to vote against Trump, because Biden is a fucking hacky sack. He's just full of a bunch of goddamn beans, man. He doesn't stand for anything. He stood for everything in 47 years, and you don't know anything he's ever done. And the utter contempt progressives have for the American people is our last article. I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to read the headline. Because that's what they do. Call them. Time Magazine hates the illogical masses. And within it, it's everything liberal. I could pay you what goes for a fun social media type show on the internet, Cal Penn. That the only thing to do is Medicare single payer for all. You're just stupid. Because you don't see the brilliance of the left. You don't understand. They know better than you on every goddamn subject. They're the smartest people in the room. 
And if you step towards them or disagree, they will shut you down on Twitter, shut you down on Facebook, make Google searches so you can't fucking prove your point, and then they're going to go after every goddamn world word instantaneously. Sexual orientation and sexual preference has been around since I got my first nut hair. It's not anymore because we need to fill the fucking narrative. Whatever the left comes up with during an election season, specifically October, we're going to fill that shit up. We're going to make sure they win. And that's my anger. I could give two fucks about Trump. I do care that we can't have a free election without the media tilting the scale for one party every time. I mean, if you doubt my words, just do a Google search what they said about Reagan. Every conservative has been a Nazi. Every conservative is a white supremacist. And every election season, there's always October surprises against the Republican and blocking and defense for every idiocy that a lefty comes up. Willie Horton. There's one. And then you look at the summer of violence directly linked to the words of Democratic politicians and their surrogates on the media. And then you get this sign. Closely look at the sign. Rainbow colored E for gays. Letter A with a star for Antifa. And the I has a fist on it for BLM. Biden Harris. They're selling those signs. And every one of them linked back to a group. And if you don't think they didn't design it that way, you're on crack. Because it's already proven the people tearing up Portland didn't vote for Hillary either. And they need their votes. So they put the fist for BLM, the star for Antifa, and a rainbow on it for the LGBT. Because that 5.4% and the POC vote is how these jackasses win elections pandering for votes. Everybody knows it. That's why every election... There's some kind of race scandal. That's why every election we talk about the rights of LGBT that aren't being taken away. Other than transgender in the, in the military. And we talk about how everything associated with the United States, the flag, the flagpole, the anthem, the very existence of the United States is horrible. Mark my words, January 21st, if Biden-Harris comes in, Biden's going to get the goddamn boot within two years. Harris, a person the Democrats didn't even want, is going to be in charge of this country. And in 2024, she will be the most qualified, best person that ever run this country, ever. Regardless if she accomplishes nothing. And they will claw and fucking destroy every institution they can to keep power forever. And as an independent, that's why my vote was for Donald Trump and every other Republican on that ticket. 
I've never done it in my life. But there was no way that I could vote for this. If you allow the Democrats to change the entire system just to retain power, well, if you're a liberal or a libertarian, eventually Republicans are going to do the same thing because now you're setting precedents. And if you really research back your memory hole, they did this bullshit in the Senate so they could get the ACA, and we were all told we should just wait for it to pass to know what the fuck was in it. They'll do that for everything. It'll be all hours of the night, secret closed door, cushy pork tatched on shit to get moderates to come on board, and stuff they don't even pitch to you. You get it pitched to you later with the media going, this is what America wanted. We did a poll of a thousand Americans and they said, we all should stand on our heads and eat fucking peanut butter. And if you're not using Jiffy, you're a racist. It seems childish, but that's what they do. They justify whatever the left wants. And people who don't go out there and research and actually look at what's going on, you buy it. Because how could you not? You're surrounded by 24-7 cable news that's pro-Democrat. And then you, you're surrounded by Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, suppressing opposing views. Labeling everything that doesn't align with whatever the Democrats are saying right now as harmful or a violation of a term of service. Yet it's not pointed out how it is. It just is. Because we will push the agenda home. Even how stupid that agenda is. And ACB, once again, to close this bad boy out, because I tied the beginning to the end like I always like to do, ACB, who was in the middle, is a key, key example of the hypocrisy and intellectual honesty, dishonesty we have in our country right now in the political class. Because nothing asked of her, nothing said to her, all the jabs, smears, from religion to her adopting black kids to her wardrobe. If you did that to Camelia Harris, Kagan, Sotomayor, the very people that were on your TV saying it would have a kitten. CNN would break their Chiron maker. There would be a billion SJW bumper stickers sprouting up on that car that you always end up with the light behind that says coexist. I mean, for God's sake, the front of my Jeep says I identify as a Prius. I am sure I'll get a statement from somebody. I just haven't driven it out in public lately. The fascists are the people that are saying the other side's fascist. For four years, it has been Donald Trump's a fascist, and we all sat and watched them be fascist. Till it culminated in burning down fucking cities because they didn't get what they wanted. And telling you, you're a racist if you only talk about the looting. 
Because 94% of all fucking protests were peaceful for about 10 minutes. It's, it's chicanery. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share it with your family and friends. Send comments out to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. Foppodcast, gmail.com. Get this show on SoundCloud, Podcast Attic, TuneIn Radio, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, Down in Pocket Cast. I'm having a hard time saying no more Google Play since I don't, don't do podcasts. Remember to check out the Fop Tony Reed Twitter account. We're still going to go with the Sunday podcast. If not, it'll be Monday. So that'll be 18 or 19 October, year of our Lord, 2020. Until then, disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah, yes. Spend some time with your family. And as Schefter said, there's a lot of good things coming up from sports to TV shows. The week of November 3rd, we'll actually have other events on this planet. And the planet will roll and continue to spin around the fucking sun. And we'll wake up the next day either with a Biden presidency or a Trump presidency, but it won't be the end of the world. Sadly, if Trump wins again, it will be the end of some cities as they burn that fucking shit down. We'll end like we always do with a montage of Democrats willing their supporters, Biden voters, to go out and burn shit. I, I, I just don't even know why there aren't okay. uprisings all over the country. Maybe there will be. People need to start taking to the streets. This is a dictator. You know, there needs to be unrest in the streets for as long as there's unrest in our lives. Enemies of the state. Show me where it says that protests are supposed to be polite and peaceful. Do something about your dad's immigration practices, you feckless. When they go low, we kick How do you resist the temptation to run up and wring her neck? Biggest terror threat in this country is white men, most of them radicalized right up to the right. I thought he should have punched him in the face. But even if you lost, he insulted your wife. Yes. He came down the escalator and called Mexicans rapists and murderers. He said, well, what do you think I should have done? I said, I think you should have punched him in the face and then gotten out of the race. You would have been a hero. I'd like to punch him in the face. I said, if we were in high school, I'd take him behind the gym and beat the hell out of him. Punch some people in the face! When was the last time an actor assassinated a president? They're still going to have to go out and put a bullet in Donald Trump, and that's a fact. Look as his character is stabbed to death. Where is John Wilkes Booth when you need him? I have thought an awful lot about blowing up the White House. A Missouri state senator is under investigation by the Secret Service after saying she hopes President Trump is assassinated. I will go and take Trump out tonight. And if you see anybody from that cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline station, you get out and you create a crowd. And you push back on them. And you tell them they're not welcome anymore, anywhere. And sadly, the domestic enemies to our voting system and wow. our honoring our Constitution are, are right at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. They're not going to stop before Election Day in November, and they're not going to stop after Election Day. And that should be, everyone should take note of that on both levels. That this isn't, they're not going to let up, and they should not. If you think we're rallying now, you ain't seen nothing yet.
part of the challenge we have as a nation is that a significant swath of Americans still support Donald Trump. They support his vision of America, and that is rooted in racism. It is rooted in a desire for power at the expense of everyone who is black and brown. And so what we have in this problem is a, is a, is a spiritual kind of tyranny of the worst impulses, uh, you know, as uh, Dr. Meacham said, um, you, know, nar- you know, sort of weaponizing narcissism. That will send a shockwave through this country. And Donald Trump may not accept the results, but who gives a Because the rest of the country will be forced to. I'm at the point where I'm going to put these police in the fucking grave. I'm at the point where I want to burn the fucking White House down. I want to take it to the senator. I want to take it to the Congress. I want to take the fight to them. And at the end of the day, if they ain't going to hear us, we burn them the fuck down. for listening to flyover politic podcast please check out our facebook page at fop podcast and twitter account at fop tony reed remember it's a short ride makes every day count i'm the sun i'm the
the shyness that is criminally vulgar. I am summoner of nothing in particular. 